CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It is Friday, October 4th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Romano Rundown with Sun-Times editor Romano Hussein. Congressional candidate Keena Collins will join us. And the Illinois political know-it-alls are back. I repeat, the Illinois political know-it-alls are back. Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky. And now your host, also an Illinois political know-it-all, <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Deja Vu Friday. And here's why. Woke up this morning, thought I had back had gone back in time. First thing I heard on the radio was a song by the Young Rascals, one of Dennis's favorite groups. Love them. Uh, I'm in love with a girl like you. I will now sing it. I'm in love with... Uh. Anyway, uh, that song is from 1967. I thought I'd gone back in time to 1967. Next thing I know, I'm on the phone talking to my dear friend, Mick Dumkey about this, that, and the other thing. We end up having an argument as, as to which song is better, Only the Good Die Young or New York State of Mind. Yes, we were debating the great hits of Billy Joel. How about that? Oh, thought boy. I... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing screams old white guys more. No, no, no. no. Nothing screams a loser <laughs> more than having a debate over Billy Joel. For the record, let me just say this. The only Billy Joel song I still like is New York State of Mind. I love that song. Uh, Mick uh, contends that there's at least 10 other Billy Joel songs better than that. Dennis is weighing in right now with his opinion. Well, if, uh, if you're listening on uh, the live stream <laughs> chat, weigh in. What's the best Billy Joel song? Nothing. How about that? Oh. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, that I guess that would have taken us back in time into the 1970s. Uh, and so, oh, and uh, last night I finally got around to watching Gilmore Girls. How about that, Dean? Oh, thank goodness. It took me back in time to like 2000. Ramada's going to give me so much heat about that one. Uh, and your kids have moved out of the house, right? <laughs> everybody's gone. It's a long story on why I started watching Gilmore Girls. I'll explain it later. Anyway, so there we go. I'm back in time, and I wake up this morning and get up my beloved bright one, home delivered as always. Here is that newspaper. Show those listeners that newspaper. Uh, and it was also my Tribune that was also home delivered. All right. Thought I'd gone back in time to 2011. And what was the story? I'll read you the headline from France Spielman's article. Clinics still closed. Mayor's nominee for health post hits snags. It talks about the testimony from Mayor Lori Lightfoot's choice to become Chicago's new health commissioner yesterday. Her name is Dr. Allison Arwadi. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, Arwadi. <laughs> 
We're not too good at that. Man, did you see Babs giving me grief on uh, Facebook for mispronouncing uh, Manuel's name? Oh, Jeff Manuel? Yeah, I got to give Babs credit. How many times? Is <laughs> I mean, you just did it again. Yeah, you said but, a manual. Uh, I, I don't believe I said manual. I said manual. Huh? Let's go back in time. Let's rewind the tape. Oh, it is deja vu. Hey, hey, man, did you hear many times that Babs making fun of me for mispronouncing Emmanuel's name? Huh? You did it again. Anyway, um, that was pretty funny, Babs. I got to give you credit for that. Uh, anyway. So, uh, Arwadi or... Uh, Uptown Girl. Pat Rod says Uptown Girl. Uptown Girl. Oh, God. She's been living... Uh, that's, you know, I just heard all these songs too many times, but I still like New York State of Mind. Anyway, Uptown Girl was a good song. All right. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Arwadi or Arwadi, whatever it is, I'm sure she's a fine doctor. I've no, I've, like me? Yeah. <laughs> I hope she's a little better at being a doctor than you are. I'm just not in denial. Every time someone says, she, uh, Dr. Arwadi, uh, not a doctor. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> can she do a stop set intro? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think she went to radio school. Uh, anyway, uh, so Dr. Arwadi is uh, testifying in front of the, uh, the city council, who I'm sure they're getting ready to approve her. They generally approve uh, most commissioners that uh, the mayor nominates. And then they get into the issue of the mental health clinics that Mayor Rahm closed back in 2011. That's what brought back the um, uh, the memory of 2011. She said, Arwadi said, that Emanuel had no choice but to consolidate the city's 12 mental health clinics after Chicago lost 90% of the $8 million in annual state funding used to support these clinics. And I was like, oh, my God, no choice? No choice? Like, no choices. It's like if I have, I go to a restaurant, and they only have one thing on the menu. You have no choice. You got to order what they have on the menu. Or, of course, I guess your choice is you could leave the restaurant. But if you want to eat at the restaurant, you have no choice. But to, no, Rob could have done a million things. Like, a million dollars worth of money just sitting around in TIF reserves. Here's the deal, folks. In 2011, Mayor Rahm, in his infinite wisdom, decided it was a good idea to close mental health clinics in poor neighborhoods where people were under fire from gun violence. Made no sense on any level. At the same time, he was endorsing TIF handouts for a downtown development project in River North area for the uh, uh, the Marriott Hotel TIF deal on the South Loop and the Hyatt Hotel TIF deal in, in Hyde Park. And I'm just doing this off, by the way, you got a off memory, the, uh, the uh, Dominic's or the grocery store TIF deal in Greektown. All right. All, so he, if you want a choice, if you want to help the most vulnerable who are in the middle of crime ravaged areas deal with mental health issues, you have a choice. You could take money from that's being allocated for development in gentrifying neighborhoods. That was your choice. He chose to cut the mental health clinics. And by the way, that initiated a, a out, outburst of protests for mental health activists and they had sit-ins with in mayor Rahm's office to talk about it and he ran out the back door rather than meet with them so instead of like working with activists in the area working with knowledgeable people in the area working with patients in the area to figure out how you could find the money to keep these clinics open he decided just to close the clinics and just walk away from it and figuring he would just survive it well guess what it was a very unpopular decision, and it undercut the credibility of the mayor. And now I, to find a new mayor appointing a new commissioner uh, defending that position is like taking me back to a time that I thought we had escaped from. I thought we've evolved from 2011. I thought we learned our lessons from 2011. Like I said, I've 
do not know Dr. Arwardy. I'm sure she's a wonderful physician. I'm sure she's a great doctor. Some of the aldermen are defending her already, saying she's a wonderful physician. But when I hear a Democratic nominee articulating Republican-like proposals that hit hardest at the poorest of the poor, it makes me wonder, like, why do we have a Democratic Party in the first place? You're supposed to have, you're supposed to represent values. You know, it reminds me of the uh, first couple of debates where some of the quote unquote centrist Democrats were attacking Bernie Sanders' uh, Medicare for all plan on the guys in the, uh, under the argument that somehow or other they were standing up for unions who had negotiated uh, healthcare plans that were uh, advantageous to their workers. We're standing up for the unions, they said, as a justification for caving in to what? the medical industry, whoever's opposing Medicare for all, caving in uh, is dis disguised as standing up for. Tell that to the uh, striking UAW workers in Michigan who are asked to be or being asked to choose between rising premiums, paying for rising premiums and uh, cuts in their uh, income, in, in their salary. Ask that the same question to uh, Chicago teachers who are about to go on strike over a similar issue. So the notion that you were defending union workers uh, by running away from a fight for Medicare for all is ridiculous, just as it is absurd to say that you're defending the cuts and closing of mental health clinics because you had no choice. Democrats stopped acting like Republicans. We already have too many of the real thing. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here. It's Friday. That means uh, Ramana Rundown, right, D? Ramana Rundown every Friday here on the Ben Jarosky Show. Keena Collins, she's running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. Get her thoughts uh, on all the issues of the day. And, of course, the political know-it-alls will be in here. Jacob Kaplan, Danny Pogoshelsky. Pogoshelsky's all fired up over this New York Times article uh, about the taxi industry in the city of Chicago. It, it, it broke this morning on the uh, internet. And Danny, you know, he's a young ND. He uh, follows his news on the internet. He sent this article to me about the god-awful early hour of 7.30. Were you up at 7.30 this morning? Uh, yes. Oh, you, okay, then you saw it. I, of course, saw it at 9.30, a respectable hour. Uh, and I've since uh, read it, ready to talk about that and all the other political issues of the day with the political know-it-alls. But before we get down to that... The young man from Alton, <laughs> a real doctor, doctor of radio. Not at all. <laughs> With the news. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Am I right? Okay. I uh, stop tapping the table. Let's unpack the Chicago and or Illinois news happening this afternoon. Mm -hmm. And don't worry, everybody, Bit will be riffing more on Mayor Lightfoot and the mental health clinics in moments, all right? But first, we begin with our Illinois governor. Thank you, Illinois. Oh. Oh, thank you, J.B. Pritzker. All right. Today on J.B. Pritzker's schedule, one event, and that's a visit to the Tinley Park Convention Center to address the Illinois Association of Hispanic State Employees Conference. And it looks like Governor Pritzker has some home improvement ideas in mind, Ben. News came out today that he plans to spruce up the governor's mansion, which leads me to believe that he may have went down some sort of Bob Vila, this old house, YouTube rabbit hole while uh, healing at home with that femur injury. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You've Better been there. You've uh, been there before, right, Ben? You're a big home improvement guy. Uh, not a big fan of home improvement. Really? Wasn't there another TV show that you loved that was sort of based on home improvement? I mean, it was called Home Improvement starring oh. Tim Allen. <laughs> yeah, that one. You love that show. Yeah. We used to have a debate over whether Tim Allen is funny. Remember that debate? Yeah. Uh, I said no. You said yes. Well, I mean, he's a comedian who writes jokes 
performs we, them and people laugh. Which is a more pathetic debate? You and I debating Tim Allen or Mick Dumpkin and I debating Billy Joel? Uh, I think they're both equally. <laughs> I mean, if you ask an elder white guy, they think it's a, both of them are fantastic. Uh, where would they say, a loser? No, no, they would not say that. <laughs> all right. But uh, by the way, for all of our Generation Z listeners out there, Bob Vila was a wildly popular home improvement <laughs> television show host in the 80s, 90s, and parts of the early 2000s. So He had a tool belt. There you go. Yeah, right. So big, big home improvement guy. This host of ours is. So yeah, Pritzker's remodeling the governor's mansion. And when you've read as many stories about this guy as I have, well, here's the part that comes as no surprise whatsoever. JB Pritzker is paying millions of his own money for the renovations. Yes, he is. Uh, can I make a point here? Yeah. All right. I just want to say something. This is. Are you basing this on Tina Svandelis' article in the Sun Times? Yes, I am. Can I just say what a great article that was? It was. It was funny. She got a couple digs in there. It was pretty funny. The stuff in that article. Springfield fixer upper Pritzker digs deep to doll up Governor Diggs. I urge everybody to read it. Okay, now go back to what you were saying. According okay. to the Chicago Sun Times, <laughs> Tina Svandelis in a Sun Times analysis, he's dropping eight hundred fifty thousand dollars from his own pockets to renovate the mansion in Springfield. Field. That cranks up the tally of personal funds he has used to cover government expenses, including doubling some salaries and paying for other renovations to at least $3.45 million. Ben, any uh, home renovation projects in mind at the house? <laughs> uh, well, I, can, I have to say this, having uh, read Tina's article, the part that I picked up on is the difference between our last two governors. I don't know if you saw this, D. Uh, of course, we have... Uh, our last two governors have been billionaires. J.B. Pritzker, the current governor, a Democrat, and Bruce Rauner, the previous governor, a Republican. Remember him, D? Bruce Rauner? Yes. That? That's billion with a B. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lori Lightfoot, for clarifying that. Uh, that's billion with a B, which rhymes with P, which stands for pool. Anyway, uh, Bruce Rauner also initiated his own uh, fix-up of the governor's mansion, only he did a fundraiser. How about that for cheap? Huh? You're a billionaire? You had to go fund? Uh, I'll lead off with a, a contribution of $1,000 if the rest of you kick in a million dollars. Not a bad Rauner impression. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. That's coming from you. That's a great compliment. You're welcome. Uh, meanwhile, J.B. Pritzker just pays for it himself. Come on, Rauner. Don't be cheap. You know, J.P. Pritzker didn't do, I'll kick in the first $5,000 if the rest of you suckers come in with a million, too. That's how about like how that? you're talking to Rauner like he's listening. He is long gone. He is not. Aww. <laughs> Rauner is so cheap, man. Come on. that Nothing screams cheaper like, uh, I'll launch uh, a privately funded renovation. Come on, Rauner. Pay for it yourself. And anyway. here's an interesting tidbit in this uh, Tina Fondellas article. According to Forbes, Pritzker is the richest sitting politician in the country, worth an estimated $3.2 billion that surpasses President Donald Trump, who is worth an estimated, and boy, I'm doing air quotes when I say <laughs> that, estimated, $3.1 billion. Yes, that's billion with a B. All right, let me just say this about that. All right. First Same. of all, we do not know actually how much. Well, first of all, these are all estimates, uh, Forbes estimates. We don't know how accurate any of them are. But in, to, in, in relation to Donnie Trump, he's been concealing his uh, income tax statements, D. So we don't really know what he's worth. Okay. It could be more. It could be less. Uh, there's... To, Debate there. Is he concealing the income tax statements because he wants to uh, keep secret all the money he's been getting from Russia so he's worth more? Or is he concealing the income tax statements because he's embarrassed and humiliated that he's even broker than I am? I could be one or the other. You know what I'm saying, D? So uh, we have to say, uh, I don't know. 
how much uh, young Donald Trump is worth. Oh, we got a correction here. Big shout out to a gentleman or a female listening uh, on the YouTube live stream. Dog Doggerson. <laughs> person's name <laughs> dog doggerson says the millennial uh is a tim allen fan not the boomer happy opposite day everyone <laughs> yeah the millennial loves tim allen okay, i didn't say i love him I oh just... my god he has a tattoo of tim allen Did you... <laughs> yeah it says <laughs> tim allen's not funny i agree with who was what's the name of the the listener Dog Doggerson. Dog Doggerson. Dog, you're 100% correct. Tim Allen is not funny. He did not say in here once that Tim <laughs> Allen's not funny. Anyway, go on with the news. My tattoo. All right, moving on with the news here. Ben doesn't want to talk about Tim Allen anymore. <laughs> I've pretty much exhausted everything I know about Tim Allen except this. He's not funny, folks. On to the Chicago mayor. Mayor Lori Lightfoot is out of town today. She is attending the United States Conference of Mayors in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Ben, have you ever been to Rochester Hills, Michigan? Uh, No. I have no idea. I've never even heard of Rochester Hills. Really? Where is it? You should get out more. <laughs> yeah, I should. Yeah. My my world is basically Chicago and then every now and then Evanston. That's oh, kind of my world. Wait, where where is Rochester Hills? Do you know? <laughs> I don't okay. know. Right. Don't it's know in Michigan. Okay. Oh, thank you. And you know, I'm sure she's been looking forward to getting out of the city for a bit. Or maybe she's not, but I wouldn't blame the mayor if she did. It's been a dramatic couple of weeks, all right? Mm-hmm. Right before her trip to Michigan, though, one more problem was thrown onto the pile. <laughs> this one has to do with the city council. So, yes, for the second time this week, it's another episode of our favorite Chicago political soap opera. A mayor <laughs> and her alderman. <laughs> Fantastic program. <laughs> So for those keeping track at home, by the way, this is season one, episode eight. Yeah, season one, episode eight. Okay. By the way, before we do this, can I just say one more thing about the Pritzker story? Sure. I got to give uh, Tina Svandela so much credit on this one. This is why I said she's stuck. I know we're going to get we're going to get to our mayor with all of it's wonderful, but I just have to say this. Uh, as you recall, uh, JB got in trouble in the, the primary and in the election for a toilet gate. Remember, he took the toilets oh, okay. out yeah, of the yeah, yeah. and so uh, out of his Gold Coast mansion and got the uh, the, the, the taxes lowered as a result. Anyway, he's he got, he's up to his eyeballs and problems with Toilet Gate. So here he is spending his own money to fix up the state property. Good for you. Not cheap like Rauner. You, you know, I'm going to have a fundraiser, and then we can all write it off. <laughs> so and, and we end up paying for it anyway. But... Um, so uh, Tina uh, Svandelis, uh bulldog reporter that she is, uh, she uh, wanted to make wanted to raise that pro- uh, that issue. And so what should she say? Uh, uh, she makes a point at the end. She goes, as for Rauner's re- uh, Pritzker's renovation, the plumbing updates will have one important uh, limitation. The Democrat came under fire during the campaign over a property tax break he received by disconnecting the toilets from his second Gold Coast Manson. And so Tina asked uh, Pritzker's uh, spokesperson about it, and she said, "quote The toilets are." not being replaced that was my favorite part of the story and i could not let the moment pass without it the toilets are I'm not jamie being pritzker and i'm not a perfect person <laughs> yes no indeed. one said he was no one said he was but he's a heck of a lot better as a governor than rauner <laughs> i think everybody will agree all oh, dog and wasn't that dog doggerson's name dog <laughs> dog right. dog, yeah. dog will agree way better governor than bruce rauner <laughs> toilets and all
All right, so today's episode of A Mayor and Her Alderman features our progressive members of the city council. Ben was riffing on this at the beginning of the show. The following comes from the Chicago Tribune and Gregory Pratt. On Thursday, a block of progressive aldermen delayed a vote on Mayor Lightfoot's nominee to lead the city's public health department. Amid concerns that the city hasn't articulated a plan to reopen mental health clinics shuttered under Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Lightfoot's nominee is Allison Arwady, who is chief medical officer under Emanuel and has been the Department of Public Health's acting commissioner since spring. Now, Ben, I know this is an issue near and dear to your heart. So before we go any further, catch us up here one more time and take us back to uh, when the Chicago health clinics were first closed. All right. 2011, as I was saying, uh, Mayor Rahm had just uh, taken over and he was going to show the world that he was the kind of Democrat who was unafraid to do what no Democrat would dare do. And in this case, he would cut off services to our most vulnerable citizens. He closed six mental health clinics, uh, most of which were in uh, low income areas, many of which were in high crime areas. I thought it was a very cruel act for an incoming mayor, particularly since at the same time he was endorsing, among other things, a tax break for the wealthiest people, some of the wealthiest people in the state uh, through at the Chicago mercantile exchange i wrote many articles about it it was the subject of many protests uh and it sort of solidified in the minds of many folks in chicago that mayor Rahm was actually mayor one percent and only interested in the wealthiest people in town so that's the backdrop of uh, by the way then the and then he had, later had the police spy on the protesters that's a whole secondary story i could go on and on about i mean it just go didn't on, end, yeah. it just didn't end there oh my god there, there was an outburst of protests uh there were activists this was the same time that he also was saying we're going to bring uh, nato to town this is so at the same time roughly the same time he's closing mental health clinics in the poorest of poor neighborhoods and he's bringing uh nato to town so it's like going to glorify chicago as this global city this wonderful beautiful beautiful healthy city when our most at the same time the most vulnerable people uh he's closing the services that directly benefit them uh, and so there were protests that erupted at mental health clinics throughout the city and what did mayor rom do he sent in pol undercover police operatives to spy on the protesters ultimately it led to f four protesters uh were um arrested and uh, sent to prison and as, uh, as a result of those undercover operations i just thought that was like oh man talk about putting salt on a wound I know we're going to piss off all the activists in Chicago by closing clinics, clinics in the poorest of poor neighborhoods. Uh, and then we're going to spy on the protesters and get goods, get goods on them so we could use it to prosecute them. Uh, that was Chicago in 2011. So that's the backdrop that leads to yesterday's debate at the city council. All right, so our weighty faced sharp questions from several progressive aldermen. Aldermen who I can guarantee read Ben Jarofsky articles. <laughs> I can guarantee it when you run down the names, yes. <laughs> All right, let's run them down. First up, number, number one. <laughs> Byron Sigcho Lopez, Ben of which board? Uh, come on, at 25th. Byron was right here, remember him? Absolutely. Sitting right there in that chair over there? You can download our interview with Byron Sigcho Lopez at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and... Wherever else you right, download podcast, me, uh, let's throw it right back at you. Let's see how closely you were paying attention to young Byron when he was in the studio for ten trivia points. Who, <laughs> who is the alderman of the twenty-fifth ward before Byron Sickcho? On to number two. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> he wore a wire. Oh, Danny Solis! My goodness, look at the brains on Brad. <laughs> 
number two. Our next alderwoman who was present at the meeting, one Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez of Ben, which ward? 33rd right. for 10 trivia points. Who did she succeed? Uh, we're not doing that anymore. Oh, I don't know okay. any of these. <laughs> Uh, Deb Mel. Everybody. Yeah, yeah Deb Mel. All right, our third Alderwoman. Number three. Maria Hadden, been of which ward? 49th. All right. Joe Moore. Number four. Andre Vasquez. Andre Vasquez, 40th ward, succeeding Patrick O'Connor. Number five. Carlos Ramirez Come Rosa. On! He was Ohio. here on Tuesday. 35th ward. And finally, we're not doing the number six thing. Uh, <laughs> the rock and roll and 10th ward alderwoman herself, one Susan Sedlowski Garza. <laughs> Wait, I like the little That's number six. All of them said that they were concerned about the shuttered mental health clinics and other issues, but our weighty did not back away from her past defense of the closures and suggested that Emmanuel made the right choice. Ben Jarofsky, we now go to you. I've worked with you long enough to know the answer, but I'm going to play along here. Ben Jarofsky, did Rahm Emanuel make the right choice, or is there a better choice? Uh, yes. I already talked about it. He made the wrong choice. Uh, the right choice is to find the money to keep the clinics open uh, and to let people know that there's, those clinics are there and uh, to do an outreach effort maybe, get encourage people to go get the help they need. I mean, it's not always easy for people to seek mental health uh, therapy. It's a kind of touchy subject among many people. Uh, people don't like to talk about it when they go to a therapist. Uh, I appreciate we had a guest here the other day. I'm not going to name names. He was very funny. Uh, when he got, came to the studio, said he had just gone to a therapist. So I appreciate when people go. Everybody needs some help. Life is tough. Life is struggle. It's particularly tough in high crime areas where you're under siege. With, with There's shootings. There's uh, murders they're closing schools you know it's it people need help people need assistance and it, i just think from I, I can't understand how any doctor would justify closing clinics in high crime areas uh and not immediately okay if you close the clinics what is immediately what are you immediately offering as an alternative and why aren't you meeting with the people who are protesting about it why aren't you meeting with some of the patients who are losing their service losing access to their service so i this was a political decision to uh send out a certain message to bolster the mayor's reputation it backfired on him and i can't believe that what is it eight years later we're still defending it. We still have people defending it. So no, I think there was obviously other choices. It's a huge budget. There's plenty of money in the TIF reserves to keep clinics open. It was a decision to close them. Uh, it was not like they had no choice. And to say that there was a choice uh, is sort of reinventing history. So once again, on Thursday, a block of progressive aldermen delayed a vote on Mayor Lori Lightfoot's nominee to lead the city's public health department, Allison R. Wadey. If there's any Allison R. Wadey fans out there listening, feel free to weigh in on the YouTube live stream chat. Find us on Facebook at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. And hey, speaking of the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, we posted a question to all of you uh, yesterday. It was in regards to uh, one of the top stories yesterday. Oh, Ben was just living over this. The Ken Griffin. Oh, uh, we're going to be talking about that with Romana, yes. Yeah, a recap for everybody what that was, Ben. Uh, Kenny G, uh, Dennis's favorite gazillionaire hedge fund. Uh, maybe my favorite saxophone player. but <laughs> No, young Kenneth Griffin, who has made a fortune. I think he's the richest man in the state of Illinois, and we're going to be talking about this Ramon in about five minutes or so, uh, gave, I think, $125 million to the Museum of Science Industry, and uh, in exchange, they've named the museum after Ken Griffin. Uh, and uh, I, 
I, I'm just going to hold off on further discussion about it until Romana comes in because I'm sure she's got a lot to say about it as, as well. Awesome. Okay, well, we went and asked you on Facebook, have you ever bought a museum? What do you think of Mr. <laughs> Griffin's purchase? Leave a comment, and we would read it on the air here. So we have some people weigh in, so let's read those comments. Ben, please weigh in with what these people said. Uh, let's see here. Dan says, that was very generous. He's still a rat. Over the years, he has probably spent uh, that much advocating union-busting tactics. His philosophy on the working man deserves to be buried deep in museum archives. What do you yeah. think about that? Uh, here, here, 100%. Uh, uh, Ken Griffin, uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, he, he was a um, big donor. We talked about this yesterday. I think it was $26 million. I The money is all coming together to Bruce Rauner's re-election campaign. Many millions of dollars to Bruce Rauner's re-election campaign. Uh, so perhaps the most unpopular governor. Well, no, I guess Bogoyevich is more unpopular than Rauner. I'll ask Romana what she thinks about that. Uh, but one of the most unpopular governors of uh, the last 50 or so years. And uh, Ken Griffin uh, was his biggest financial supporter. Diane says it hardly sounds like a gift if the stipulation is the name change. Wow, that is a great point. That I hadn't That's thought great. of that. Got to give her credit. I had not thought of that. What kind of gift is that? Uh, I'll give you this <laughs> if you give me that. That's quid pro quo. That's not a gift. Great point. It's <laughs> a lot of people went on. The, Can we uh, give her something? Uh, good job. Good job, <laughs> Diane. That was awesome. That is a great point. <laughs> And a lot of people, uh, they uh, were weighing in doing uh, their Trump impressions here. Ben says, uh, I've bought museums, <laughs> lots of them. I've got better museums. I put my museums against your museums any old day, Ken. That's pretty funny. That is good. I remember Trump back in the 80s uh, kicked up some money to fix an ice skating rink in New York. He's so proud of that. So Back in the 80s. All right. Well, hey, weigh in on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Your thoughts on uh, Ken Griffin uh, giving money to this museum here. And don't go anywhere, because coming up after this short little break, we're going to talk with Ramana Hussein of the Sun-Times. It's another Ramana Rundown. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for um, like, if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. 
Hey, podcast fans, I mean, that must be you if you're listening right now. The team at the Chicago Sun-Times have a new show to add to your listening lineup, especially if you like football. This football season, get the inside scoop on the Chicago Bears with Hallis Intrigue. It's the latest podcast from the Chicago Sun-Times. Tune in to hear Sun-Times sports reporters and Bears experts provide insight, analyze the day's big story, stay informed this football season. Listen to Hallis Intrigue at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. That's H-A-L-A-S. And be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Check it out now at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. Even if you don't like football, give it a shot. And hey, who knows? You may be the biggest football fan in the world after it. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. It's Friday. That means the Romana Rundown. Romana Hussein, a Chicago Sun-Times editor in the studio, as she is every Friday. Uh, happy Friday, Romana. Happy Friday to you, too. I lost my pen. I don't know. It was a happy Friday. Oh, excuse me, Romana. Oh, <laughs> I have two pens. Hold oh, one second. All right, we are waiting here for Ben to grab his pen. We'd I like to remind none. everybody to check out our Benny J bonus interviews. Thank you. That was really well done. Uh, so, Ramana, you were walking in as uh, we were talking about uh, the Museum of Science industry, and we talked about, on the phone earlier about this, something we want to talk about. Uh, just get your general reactions to gazillionaires buying naming rights of public institutions like the Museum of Science and Industry. I don't think, I just, I first of all, I'm always impressed when someone has this much money, especially when they're not much older than I am. Ken Griffin, I always thought was older, but he's just as old as my older sister, so who isn't that much older than I am. So um, of course that just makes me like, God, do you have $125 million just to give to the Museum of Science and Industry, which is a good thing. I like the Museum of Science of Industry and Industry. It's not my favorite museum. I know I'm, I'm a little bizarre because I like the Field Museum. I've always loved the Field Museum as a kid. Um, but hmm, I have to think about that, it's, which like, is my favorite museum. I love the, I like the art too. That was one of my, that's one of my, my more adult, I became an adult. I used to hate it when I was a kid going there on field trips, but the field museum, I like that stuff. I like art, just looking at cultures. And I remember waiting in line to see the King Tut exhibit when I was a kid with my family. Oh, it was like, yeah. there was a long line going outside the field museum. So I remember going to that. Remember that one very, yeah, it was really Yeah, hyped. it was really hyped. And then I ended up going to Egypt years later and I saw it in Cairo, so. And there was probably no line. No line, yeah. no line. But I just remember standing outside, my grandma from India was with us and we're all waiting outside to see this exhibit. It was such a big deal. But I'm just saying that I really like the field museum. I do, but I do like the Museum of Science and Industry. I think, I think they had really cool things. I remember going there and then they had this like little, coal mine exhibit yeah, the coal where mine, all the kids yeah. we i remember going there as a kid <laughs> but anyway i just think that, fine he gave a lot of money i just don't understand the name change and i know you're not really a big social media buff but or are you're on twitter all day but i i actually am on twitter a lot because i got to keep up with all the different news organizations and see what they're doing just in case you know just to make sure we're on top of everything but as soon as the story came up i saw that sears tower started trending you know what trending means right on twitter uh, yes <clears throat> trending on twitter means <laughs> that a lot of people are uh, talking about talking it. well not literally talking they're tweeting about yeah, it tweeting about it so all of a sudden so as soon as that story as soon as we posted that story and other organizations started posting the story about the museum of science and industry going to be called ken griffin museum of science and industry sears tower started trending and then a few minutes later then museum of science and industry started trending and people were just saying Okay, we didn't listen with Sears Tower. 
which is also actually called the Willis Tower now. So most Chicagoans aren't going to call it the Ken Griffin. Wait, isn't it called something else? It's Willis Tower now. It's Willis Tower right now? Yeah, but nobody calls it that. Nobody from Chicago calls it Willis Tower. Well, I used to have, just a brief moment, I had an editor that would change it. Okay. Yeah, they probably have to because that's what the formal name is. But when you talk about it, you don't say Willis Tower. Anybody from Chicago will call it Sears Tower. Which just goes to show you how editors have to reconsider their policies. If this is just a tangent within a tangent, I don't want to get you off your thought, but I always irritated me. Like they, I change it to Willis and I go, and I would make your argument. I go, no one in Chicago calls it Willis. Yeah, but you have to. I mean, it's, and then so people just said, they're like, nobody ever learns because nobody ever calls it. Willis Tower. People call it Sears Tower. Like someone like my mom doesn't even know that it was the name change happened. So she'll still call it Sears Tower, <laughs> you know, mom. you know, but it, and then, so people are just giving the example of like Marshall Field and Macy's, although I can never call Macy. I can never call Macy's Marshall Fields because I don't think it's a Marshall Fields. I think it's completely different. So you call it Macy's. I do. But I, I, you know, for the longest time I refused to go into Macy's because I was so mad that they changed <laughs> that, they Marshall. that they took over and got no more Marshall Fields because I thought that was such a Chicago institution. But then my younger sister ended up getting a job for a designer in that was uh, had a little store inside Macy's, and then we started getting all these discounts, and then I started going to Macy's. Oh, there, you go. <laughs> so, that, that, there, there went that boycott. <laughs> so I mean, I, I go in there, but I just don't think it's like I don't think it's comparable to Marshall Field. So I can't go with that. But then people mention uh, Comiskey Park. For the longest time, nobody would call U.S. Cellular Comiskey. I mean, would call U.S. Cellular U.S. Cellular. Yeah. I didn't. For the longest time, I called it Comiskey Park. And when I finally started calling it U.S. <laughs> Cellular, then they changed it to Guaranteed Rate. And yeah. I'm not calling it Guaranteed Rate Field. That just is bizarre. Yeah. I just think in Chicago, there are certain names that we go with, and we're very stubborn. We're not going to start calling it something else just because there's a new name. And it's kind of like the nicknames people give Chicago. Like nobody from Chicago calls Chicago the shy, you know, or anything like that. I'm like, nobody calls it that, you know? So I always, there's always like a lot of people say like, it doesn't matter where, you know, you can kind of tell by clues that because of the words people use that they're not from Chicago. Just like just sitting with them, talking with them, they'll say like, well, you know, the shy. And I'm like, you're not from Chicago. Or what about Windy City? Windy City, you know, people use that. It's a cliche, but none of us sit around and go, oh, you know, I'm sitting around in the Windy City today. Yeah, It's just like little words. Like my husband, I told him, I'm like, you know, you might know a lot about Chicago, but I can tell you're not from Chicago. (laughs) No, he's definitely not No, because he uses words like sneakers. I'm like, nobody says sneakers. I go, that's like gives it away. You're, you don't call it gym shoes. So like wait, he goes, do, wait, hold on. I was unaware of this. Yeah, what do he, people in Chicago call, quote unquote, sneakers? We call it gym shoes. I did not know that. You didn't know that? No. No. Well, I'm not from Chicago. But you kind of are. You grew up in Evanston. By well, that time, you should. technically Rhode Island, but whatever. Anyway. But by the time you came to high school, like when we're just sitting around, when we call, you know, shoes that we wear, their athletic shoes, like Nikes, we'll call them gym shoes. Like, oh, yeah, I have my gym shoes. And. Yes. Mick is always like, oh, I have to get a new pair of sneakers. And wow. I'm like, sneakers? I go, see, you can talk all about Chicago all you want, yeah. but that just gives it away yeah, no, that you're no. not from here. Yeah. Uh, but and the I, way he pronounces things, I'm like, you're not from Chicago. Well, well, give me an example of that. like Chicago. I don't know. There's just some names that he pronounces. And I'm like, that's not how you say it. Yeah. You know? So I just think there's just like little things. Like he might know more about the city and the politics than I do, but... I go, well, there's little things that give you away. So it's the same thing. I think a lot of people, like maybe someone from out of town will call it Willis Tower, but I think we'll still call it I Sears actually, Tower. I actually, now this is a sign of either 
a breakdown mentally, which I'm always having memory. I think it got changed again from Willis Tower. I actually think somebody else bought the naming rights. And then that's funny how memory really? goes. Yeah. Uh, by the way, since I've always called it the Sears Tower, I never called it Willis. I didn't and either. Always, and by the way, I have the same thing with United Center. Now, it's still United. I no, call it United Center. I call it the Chicago Stadium. Oh, okay. That's because okay. you're older. I'm old. <laughs> yeah. Just, just so take maybe. the ER out of that. And I'm old. It's To me, it's the state. I call it the stadium. I don't even call it Chicago. The stadium. I'm going to the stadium to see a game. And uh, uh, so that's how I view... I, you know, like, they're not paying me to call it United Center. You know what I'm saying? No, I, and that makes sense. It Sometimes, it, you know, because you're older, you'll call certain things that. I, you know, I should ask my nephews and nieces what they call the Sears Tower. The thing is, Sears Tower isn't that big of a deal as it was when I was a kid. Because at that time, it was the largest building in the world. Yeah. Now it's like maybe the 10th or something. It's fallen down. But it used to be such a big deal. My parents, whenever we had family friends that came from out of town, were like, oh, let's go to the Sears Tower. It was We'd always go there. Yeah, it was a big deal. It was the Sears Tower. And so uh, think of it this way. I mean, that in itself as a naming, as a branding. So why should I be so upset that Ken Griffin uh, gets to be the, it gets to buy the rights to a museum? I think it's... A museum is more of a public trust than a building. Uh, And so for Ken Griffin, for the Museum of Science and Industry to so willingly give up its They got $125. I mean, million dollars. If somebody gave me $125 million, I'd change my name to them. No, I'm just kidding. uh, Ken Griffin is my guest today. I'm just saying that it is. I'm just saying that that it's fast. I would do it. I would change my name for $100 million. I wouldn't even ask for that extra $25 million. Someone wanted to give the Sun-Times $125 million and they wanted to give me like a million dollars. We'd be like, yeah, if you want to call it... The Griffin the paper. Griffin paper. Yeah, I'm just saying that I could see why they're they easily agree to it. They're not gonna. That's not gonna be a deal breaker where they're gonna be like, well, we don't want to. We don't want to give you the name, so we're not taking the 125 million dollars. Why not? The Art Institute took money from I forget some other rich guy. We talked about. And they this said yesterday. how much money was it? I don't know. See now the issue is like, is there the issue is whether there's <laughs> it's enough money? Yeah, it's enough money. So to me, if you're gonna give up your name, 125 million's not enough. <laughs> you gotta put a couple more zeros behind that uh, one, two, five. Now we can talk. All right. The, the uh, tri- I, I don't think 125 million is enough. Well, I just wanted to let you know. I did right before I came in a tribute. A friend of mine who works for the Chicago Tribune tweeted one of her colleagues' columns who said it could be worse. It could be the Yeezy Kardashian Museum of Science and Industry. I would actually prefer That's that what I was, to... I was like definitely prefer any, uh, that to uh, the Kenny G uh, Museum, uh, which is what it is now. It's a shame on them. And by yeah. the way, the great comment by our listener. I don't, I don't know if you heard I that. I heard you guys say that, that... It's not a gift. It's not a gift because now he's getting the name. It's an exchange. And, you know, I don't know. It's a purchase. And I feel like... I don't know. I, I just someone who's, you know, I go to my mosque and people who give the largest donations don't even want their names. They don't they don't want to be recognized. And I've noticed that in a lot of charitable organizations, a lot of people who do, do give donations, they just like keep my name out of it. Yeah. So he's I mean, it's great that he's doing that. And I can understand the recognition, but putting your name on it is a little the, I don't know if I would ask for if I really cared about the museum I don't know if I necessarily yeah, put my name on it maybe I, I'd brag about giving the money but, yeah you brag about it I, I, but, I think it undercuts yeah I know what you're saying it's a purchase it's, it's yeah. not a gift it's yeah. a purchase he it's purchased like something. now for the rest of you know until someone else comes up with 
$300 million. He'll, his name will be on it. I would not be surprised, and I do not know if this is the case, but if there's some kind of stipulation written into the agreement that it has his name has to stay on there for a certain number of years. Maybe. Sometimes, I've, I've read about this where uh, wealthy benefactors, they put that in, uh, get that in writing. So, for instance, you know, after some rich guy gives a bunch of money to a museum, they name it after after him, then he dies and they change yeah. the name, you know? But the rich guy wants, ah, no, no, I want that museum name for me years from now, yeah. even when I'm not around to appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that, I do not know if that's in writing, but I would not be surprised if it's in writing. No, I yeah, think- It's interesting. Just, it's a uh, shit. But I, I just think that Chicagoans aren't going to call it that. Nobody's, well. It, People will. Maybe I in mean, 50 years. Who knows? Yeah. I Little mean, kids call it the. Yeah, perfect. that happens. It. I, I can, like you said, it's sometimes an age thing too. Yeah. You know, once yeah. I die off and there yeah. might be the younger generations will call it that. Uh, moving on to uh, other news items uh, on our list of things to talk about. Oh my God, there's uh, the the latest breaking news in the Tyshawn Lee case. We've been talking about this mm-hmm. um, for about at least a month or so. And I have a, a, an attorney who'll be coming in the studio next week talk, taking a deep dive on it. Uh, but why don't you give me the up the latest? Yeah, um, according to some tweets that I'm reading right now, the there was two men that were on trial. There's two separate two separate men being tried. They're, they had a double jury. Mm-hmm. This is the Tyshawn Lee case. One was D. Wright Boone Doty. I'm probably pronouncing it right. Probably it's probably Dwight. And then the other guy was Corey Morgan. Um, Boone Doty was the alleged was the gunman, I should say, because he was convicted yesterday. And after ten hours of deliberation, Corey Morgan, his co-defendant, was found guilty as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a pretty sad case because it involved a nine-year-old boy who was shot execution style. Um, prosecutor said that Boone Doty, the alleged the, the gunman, had allured him from the uh, playing. You know, he was playing basketball. And he took him, and then he said, "Oh, I'm going to get you some candy." And then he ends up shooting him nearby. And it was a pretty sad case because they had the autopsy. I mean, it's sad. And then you know, just hearing about I didn't know this detail that came out when the medical examiner testified this week is that he had um, a couple of injuries on his face, and it came from his hand putting his hand up to his face because mm-hmm. it was like a defensive, you know, movement. So just sad thinking about nine year old kid having to like have a gun in his face, yeah, deflecting. They're... So it was just it's just a very depressing story because these men were taking revenge on another gang related um, murder that happened a few weeks before and Corey Morgan the guy that just was convicted by uh, the second jury he um, his brother had died in that and his mother had been um, wounded in that shooting yeah so. it's um, it's just sort of like another level of of insanity mm-hmm. in the city of Chicago uh, and um, it's one of these stories that, in, that just it's hard to even reconcile with, you know, it's hard to even justify or figure it out, uh, come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. It's just there's these individual stories and you know how, you don't know like how significant they are in terms of the city as a whole, Yeah, but they're just so shocking uh, and upsetting that to kind of undercut any kind of, it, it just undercuts the, 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 like your spirit, if you mm-hmm. will, you know, and, and being a Chicagoan uh, and living in a city where this kind of madness occurs. Um, and as a, an aside story uh, to it, uh, there was a, a, an article that Andy Grimm wrote in the paper. Andy Grimm, the Chicago Sun-Times criminal justice reporter, inherited the beat from Romano, I might say. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a story last week. I don't know if you saw it. I definitely know we didn't talk about it. About, about the witness? The witness. Yes, I edited that story. You went, talk about, tell yeah. 
people. that was a story. Um, Andy actually told me um, during pretrial hearings because he's you know there's a lot of pretrial hearings involving this case, and uh, he told me that four witnesses. Um, that were in the park the day of the shooting in November 2015 had been locked up because the judge or the prosecutor said that they didn't um, answer to subpoenas. And this one young man was a college student. And he said that he did talk to prosecutors and said that the day you wanted me in court in a pretrial hearing, I actually had to register for classes. And he said that he was like cooperating with prosecutors. Prosecutors said that he didn't answer, um, you know, or didn't you know, he has to honor a subpoena. So he ends he end up being jailed for a few days. And he said that he was actually taken in like handcuffs on the plane. And he was which in is, Arkansas. He, lived, he was at. Yeah, he was in Arkansas, which is like, you, it makes you think. I mean, this was a young African American man. Would they do it if it was a white college student? Probably not. Would they put him in handcuffs and on a plane? So this, this young man was talking about how he. You know, he's never been in trouble. You know, he grew up on the South Side. He said he, knew, he saw many friends that kind of got caught up in that gang life. But he was someone that never been arrested, you know, was going to college trying to make, you know. And, and you know, I am I don't know. It was kind of, you know, prosecutors are saying one thing. He was saying one thing. But this kid seemed, you know, like a pretty intelligent kid. He seems like he was pretty cooperative. But was, Andy said that this is very common, though, for witnesses to be jailed before a gang-related the, shooting and this this young man said though he wasn't worried about retaliation or anything like that he was just saying that i'm just trying to get on with my life and take my college courses and i told prosecutors that that the day they wanted me in before you know trial started well, um I, I when i read this by the way it, it's his lawyer it's this young uh, gentleman's lawyer who will be on the show next week oh, april, april? Yeah, yeah, okay. we'll, we'll be coming on the show we're going to take a deep dive just in criminal oh, justice be good. In yes yeah i did edit that story yeah so. and um but uh i read that story about the, the, the prosecutors uh, going down to Arkansas, uh, arresting the kid, putting him in handcuffs, putting him on an airplane, taking him back to Chicago, mm -hmm. jailing him for two weeks to op make him obligated to testify, even though he didn't have his testimony did not directly impact like mm -hmm. the like what happened in the alley. And that's what he. Oh yeah, that's what he was saying too. He's like, I he because he didn't. The two men that were on trial, he didn't recognize them. He did recognize uh, Kevin Edwards, who was the getaway driver, who just pleaded guilty a few weeks ago. So really, was his testimony significant? Yeah. I and, think most people would say probably not because there was all this, there was all this, um, you know, gunshot residue. And, you know, I think even the gunman's DNA was found on the on uh, Tyshawn's basketball. So there was a, a lot of other compelling parts of the trial yeah so this young man's testimony probably wasn't well this was supposed to change with kim fox and um this just sort of general attitude about how you treat i'll just say it young black men yeah and, uh, and that's that's the first thing that struck me when andy was telling me about it i just, just said that all you know, men from arkansas in, keep in, them in jail for two weeks two yeah. weeks yeah by the way the, i gotta say i'm like i'm looking while this is going on i'm watching president trump openly defy federal prosecutors who are coming after openly defying subpoenas uh investigations into what he did wrong and he's just it's just like shows you a ramana just so graphically how different the world is for mm -hmm. blacks and whites for sure y you know what i'm saying but you know like, if donald trump was put in handcuffs for some people he would be seen as a hero i don't know <laughs> maybe trump, yeah you're yeah, right i'm just saying i uh, think some people would be like oh yeah well, Donald Trump right now is seen as a hero because he's giving the middle finger to the 
the Democratic congressmen who are subpoenaing uh, information from the White House, he's seen as a hero because he just openly mocks the yeah. investigations into him. So it's there's two standards, definitely. Uh, by the way, speaking of double standards, I know I didn't tell you I was going to tell you, but, but there was a very good column in the... Um, uh, in the Tribune today. i got to give the Tribune credit. I had a couple good stuff today. Uh, Heidi Stevens. I don't know if you saw this I one. I do read her, but I, I don't know if I saw today's. What would oh. happen if a female president behaved this way? Oh. If Donald Trump, like, like these outbursts he has that are just so insane. They would say that she was crazy. I mean, if you say Donald Trump is crazy, some people that support him would be like, no, he's not. He's like, he's so refreshing. And yeah, women always get called crazy, though. I'm sure people look in the newsroom and think I'm crazy sometimes too because of the stuff I'm saying. But most you know, definitely when not I, crazy. When I'm when I well, I have complained to my bosses about things, they look at me like I'm crazy. But but that's just being a woman. Like it's. Did you hear about Bob Woodward and how? Yes. He, talk about that one. Yeah. So, Bob Woodward, the Washington Post uh, writer. Yeah, it just shows you how men are. It's just a great example of how men are. So these women. Just all men. No, I mean, most of them, yes. Yeah. Even the ones who think they're all woke are like yeah. that. You know, they're mansplaining all the time. And um, but t- tell folks what so happened. So these are, this is uh, Jody Cantor, I believe, and Megan Tuohy. Mm-hmm. Megan Tuohy's from Evanston, by the way. Did not know that. Yeah. I, rem- I, I remember bumping. I, I didn't know her that well, but she worked at the Tribune, too. Okay. So uh, anyway, they wrote a book about how they, um, they're, their investigations into the Me Too mm-hmm. stories that came out against Harvey. Well, I think it's about the Harvey Weinstein and just about, you know, deep delving into that this story. Anyway, they had um, some sort of event. I forgot where it was, but Bob Woodward was uh, the moderator. <laughs> and I think he would keep talking over them and, you know, wouldn't let them answer. You know, when they were talking, he just kind of interrupted. And then he called, like, Harvey Weinstein's behavior kind of something kind of for some foreplay comment and then and then he gets any and he ends, he ends up getting heckled which i thought was kind of funny so i've been trying to read some of the stories i haven't read all of it but i saw that he was trending too and you know people were just saying that he was just out of order in that whole situation which is kind of interesting yeah, the times have caught up to bob woodward uh, <laughs> that is for sure so i can't imagine being a journalist in those days a female journalist it's bad enough now but yeah i bet it was really bad then uh anyway that yeah that's sorry story, that, that, <laughs> that no, was the, a tangent uh, no that was a good tangent though but uh not all men i know but not all men okay like a lot uh romana's husband is not like that in any way all are right. you sure <laughs> um, we have arguments all the time all right They're now fun. moving on to the recommendation uh part of okay. wait no wait we have no, to do we're a talking about Jesse Smollett. Smollett. we have to it's it's not a romana segment without a jesse update okay so we're talking right now right now there's a hearing involving the jesse smollett case this is the case this is the side thing involving the special prosecutor looking into the Jesse Smollett matter and how Kim Fox handled the case. So right now, um, Dan Webb, who was appointed special prosecutor in the case, I bet, I guess he realized he donated a thousand dollars to Kim Fox's campaign when she was running against Anita Alvarez. So this hearing is on that. And apparently he was one of three people who co-hosted a fundraiser for her and I, I think he said that, you know, I, I don't know if he was quoted in our story, but maybe um, someone from his law firm said that, you know, he, usually someone asks him to donate. And unless he really objects to that person, he'll just write a check. Mm-hmm. So he said he doesn't remember, which I guess I don't know how you can't remember 
co-hosting something or having your name on it but he didn't go he didn't yeah. go to that event and uh he doesn't remember or i think he might have recalled that he got this thousand dollar check or kim fox's office called him so there's a hearing on that right now so that's the latest on the jesse smollett case and i know you wanted to talk about how um donald trump jr donnie baby but let, before we lose that uh, dan webb story when i read the article about how dan webb couldn't remember or couldn't yeah. recall giving the donation it, it exposed me to a world of fundraising that I, obviously i'm not privy to being a broke reporter uh and, and you can't and you're not supposed to i'm not supposed to anyway uh <laughs> although some candidates have actually asked me i'm like dude i i, I can't give you money no, i know uh but <laughs> but it's it, it, just the world think about this it's a corporate law firm a lot of wealthy lawyers and one lawyer knows kim fox or has some connection mm -hmm. to kim fox and so he's just going around asking all the other lawyers to kick into the kitty mm -hmm. and they apparently they there's like a message that beams out like this is good for this law firm uh if we kick in some money mm -hmm. to uh, for kim fox she gets elected who knows down the road, you yeah. know, it's, it's a good thing to do. And so it just it, it opened my eyes to how corporate Chicago responds to a, an election. Mm -hmm. It's like someone, you know, passes the hat. All right. If you say so, I'll kick in. And then when you go back, uh, speaking of your husband, this is Mick Dumkey's specialty. When he goes through the campaign finance records, he's really good at picking out which law firms, you know what I'm saying? He does not, it's not just Mick, Danny Mahopoulos is really good yeah. at this too. Uh, and they, they, and Tim Novak, these are like three reporters. I think about this. They, they, they know which law firms. So you could tell like when the hat was passed. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? And it's just a way of reinforcing incumbency and the know who you know. Yeah, aspect of course. Of Chicago. Yeah, so it's interesting. I don't. I don't know what happened. I mean, it's happening right now, and I'll probably know more once I leave this show. Yeah. So. And and for Dan Webb's uh, perspective, well, that's just how Chicago. I was going to say for him, that's probably like twenty five cents. Yeah, it's you sort know, of, he's like, oh yeah. It's I, a, it's the equivalent of Ken Griffin giving one hundred twenty five million dollars <laughs> and getting uh, a museum named after. Maybe 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 twenty six in California will be named after Dan Webb. It, it, <laughs> I, by the way, what is the equivalent in uh, for us of one hundred twenty five million for a journalist? Yeah, for a broke <laughs> journalist, it's like a hundred dollars. <laughs> no, I, I would give a hundred dollars to the art museum if they called it the Benny J Art Museum. <laughs> Are you kidding? Good. All right. Uh, uh, the other thing is Jesse Smollett. This is unbelievable. He's become uh, just a, na a national symbol of wretchedness for uh, uh, for liberals. Uh, and Donnie Trump Jr., baby Trump, uh, was uh, trying to divert attention from a very legitimate congressional investigation into the nastiness that his father is up to. We're going to talk about this with uh, Keenan in a little while. But uh, d he he tweets out that Adam Schiff is the Jussie Smollett of, of Congress. Congress. On steroids, yeah, he on said. Steroids. On steroids. So that's, it's Jussie Smollett's name. He's He wanted to become famous. I mean, that's the allegations. So he really did become famous, infamous. Yes, I put the I-N in front of there. All right. Uh, Romana's recommendation. Well, why don't you start and tell us <laughs> All right, what you've been doing? Well, this is a little embarrassing. I revealed this is already. Uh, I saw it's all because I loved uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which mm -hmm. is a TV show. I heard that's really great. Yeah, it's awesome. And you know the the actress is from Highland Park. Yes, I did know that. Uh, Rachel Brosnahan. Anyway, I uh, so I I started looking about what the director had done, and I found out she directed a show called Gilmore Girls, which in my infinite. But you ignorant, heard about that. That your daughters probably knew about. No, that show. I, I, it was like a, my kids watched that other show. They loved, um, 
Oh man, it drove me crazy. <laughs> What's the premise? Uh, it, uh, it was uh, divorced wives, and uh, the, I hated the desperate, desperate house, desperate oh. housewives. Yeah, man, they watch that show. I hated the sound of that show, and it was a Sunday night. And I was like, let's have Sunday night dinner. Uh, this is when they were in high school and grammar school. Oh, it's seven o'clock. And my wife, they'd all run to the TV. They, I hate it. You, have you ever heard of that show? No, 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 I did. You know who was in it? The one at the college scandal. Felicity Huffman was on that show. How do you know this stuff? Because For 10 trivia points. Also in it was... Eva Lingoria, Terry Hatcher, and then the Marsha Cross. All right. She used to be in... Uh, Melrose Place. That's why I knew that. Wow, you know your stuff. All right, for 20. Well, I never watched that show, but I but, just... But you know incredible amounts of trivia. Yeah, I know a lot of bad pop culture stuff. All right. In the category of pop culture, for 10 trivia points, who did Eva Longoria date? Uh, in oh, the, the basketball player. I do not believe that constitutes a correct answer. <laughs> Keena Collins? Very Tony good. Parker. Tony Parker, the pride and joy of France. But his father, Billy Parker, played on the South Side at Leo High School. Anyway, oh, um, I the things know I that. know, yeah, they, only but I But anyway, know um, Gilmore. <laughs> I knew it was anyway, Tony Gilmore Parker. Girls, I just forgot. I started, so I started watching it. I can't believe I was here. I was looking bare. My wife's like, what are you watching? And <laughs> well, who's it your doesn't... favorite Gilmore girl? Uh, I don't know their names. So there's a mom there's and a, a daughter. There's a mom and a daughter, but I like the mom. Oh, okay. oh sassy so, thing there, you know what I mean? So the mom had her daughter when she was like 16, 17, yeah. really young. So they're like, we're more like sisters. You know a God. lot about the Gilmore Girls. No, because it was really popular. Did I never watch watched it. it. No, oh. I never watched it. But I know I gave stuff away by telling you that there was a reboot that happened a few years <laughs> you ago. You gave it all away. And I, I actually But don't, no, that's because a lot of women were complaining because... The, yeah. the daughter becomes a journalist and they said it was really fake you know every time there's a female journalist portrayed in pop culture all women who are journalists get mad because it's very fake it's very fake but anyway um i'm surprised that you're watching that because i don't know any man who would admit <laughs> that that they're watching gilmore girls it, it was a very popular show um when it came out i think a lot of adults liked it too but i never heard of any man who liked it well it opens a lot with, of women i don't you've, since you've never seen it you don't know this it opens with a song by carol king i love carol king more than <laughs> Anything in the world, everybody's laughing. I probably don't know her uh, music. I don't think I know. You don't know one? We'll name a song. By Carol King? Yeah. <clears throat> I will I now just, name. Uh, I God, probably where do, do I know. start? Uh, I probably do know. Like whenever you see those. She wrote the when you greatest song. Well, she wrote the music. Her, her husband actually wrote the lyrics to the, one of the greatest songs Aretha Franklin ever sang, uh, Natural Woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know <laughs> I that. I will now not sing it. I'm just saying. Yeah, uh, no, oh. she did not write Burt Backrack and Hal oh, David. Oh, but she's saying it probably. I know her version. No, she did not oh, sing the same oh. Say a Little Prayer uh, was originally a hit for. This, God, this is my wheelhouse. We're talking about 70s pop. Dionne Warwick. Oh. And then uh, uh, Aretha Franklin's the best version. I think Keena Collins agrees with me 100%. Aretha Franklin's. Tapestry, yeah. Oh. Um, anyway, so that's Carol King, but it opens with the Carol King song. I, I always see, King's like, I hear of Carol King whenever you show, they show those infomercials for like seventies music. <laughs> so that's what I know. Oh, do I feel old? Hey, seventies <laughs> hipsters, how about Carol King? Uh, okay, so, but anyway, you like it? So yeah, far? I, I like it. I got to yeah. don't let that get around. So that, no, that's what well, you're saying it on, on <laughs> yeah. air. So, oh, yeah, right. but I don't know. I um, we still have to see the Hustlers. I know we're both tardy on that. Um, the Joker came out. Which is kind of interesting. The Tribune only gave it like a half a star. I've been hearing a lot of, you know, the movie's not as good as Joaquin Phoenix, who's mm. a really good actor. Um, but, the, you know, there's been a lot of criticism. The director, I forgot his name. Is it Todd Phillips? Yes, very good. Anyway, um, you had heard what the comments he made recently about how he can't make comedies anymore because... 
you know, there's too much of a woke culture and he'd be criticized. So he has to make serious movies. So everybody's been ripping on him. And, you know, there's been also commentary on like the Joker and how he's like all these crazy white men who go up and end up becoming like criminals. And they're just saying that, oh, it's just a representative of these crazy white guys. I don't know. I'm interested in seeing it just because I think Joaquin Phoenix is a good actor and it looks more interesting than the average superhero type movie. I I can't admit, I have no interest in seeing it at all, (laughs) Uh, but I definitely will see Hustlers. And I'm really, for down the road, really excited speaking of old white men about the irishman oh god three and a you know it's really funny because mick, mick mentioned that yesterday and he goes oh i can't wait till that comes I out and i go how many movies do we have to watch about irish and italian gangsters i'm so tired i mean i no offense i like those movies but like and then he goes and then he starts he goes, oh we just watched you know he's talking about the indian series yeah. that he ended up liking because we just watched a show about indian gangsters i'm like yeah that was made in india i'm talking about <laughs> stuff in the united states like how many movies do we have to see about white guys and a, a valid criminal point. activities i know i probably will like it too don't get me wrong i like scorsese it's three and a half hours yeah he told me but it's gonna be on netflix you know that right no i know but first it opens uh it opens on the big screens for a month and i it, yeah everybody my, they're doing my that source, with a lot of movies my yeah my source uh, adolfo who will be here on Tuesday, he actually saw it in New York. Says it, you, you, if you're in the movies, yeah, you have to see it on the big screen. It's like Roma, which is, I did see Roma on Netflix. I love Roma, but I've seen it many times. But it's a big. It should be a big screen. Movie. Oh, it's beautiful the way you it actually was shot. saw it. In, I didn't see it. I saw it on Netflix, oh. but it was just you could tell even on the small screen that it was so beautiful the way it was shot, and I just thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was the best. So th- that's a whole subject for another time. Yeah, we'll Netflix watch the Irish. I probably will watch. The, Makes like fine. I'll watch it by myself. I'll I'm go. like, um, first of all, I watch more movies and shows by myself because you don't want to watch them. But I probably will watch that. I told him, I like, go, oh, you know, I'm gonna watch that with you. No, we're gonna have a, a discussion. That's definitely. What it was we're just a bring. side note. We're gonna bring back a group to uh, have a break. We broke down once upon a time in Hollywood. We definitely do the Irish. Oh yeah, uh, that's we should just, we should definitely do that. Coming right. soon, Gilmore Girls. We'll yes. do an episode, <laughs> a bonus on that one as well. Yeah. Maureen O'Donnell, are you out there? We're gonna bring Maureen. You probably did watch Gilmore Girls. Yeah. I uh, can see her watching that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying we talk about shows and movies all the time Listen, like what it. can i say i love the gilmore girls His favorite character mother gilmore apparently <laughs> no there is a mother gilmore but she's I yeah they're rich right yeah, her family's rich. Her family's yes, rich anyway, uh, more i'll give you more updates on the gilmore girls next week uh ramana ramana hussein great job as always got kena collins sitting on deck we're gonna bring her on when we return Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. 
Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Tony Preckwinkle, in, in a series of these forums and debates, I've counted uh, some of your uh, questioners have had to ask four or five times. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show, apparently brought to you by Billy Joel and the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yeah. You never know what you're going to hear on the Ben Jarofsky show. Yeah. Hour number two of the program is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Friday, October 4th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome congressional candidate Keena Collins, and it's the return of the Illinois political know-it-alls, Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was at the Personal Pack Luncheon. We talked about that a lot in the show. And sitting right next to me, or near by me, was Keena Collins. She said, Ben, I want to come back to your show. I said, come on back, Keena Collins. So I here sure you did. are. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me on again. It's and, always great to be here. And uh, so, uh, as we said earlier, Keena Collins is a candidate uh, for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. Uh, the, the incumbent is uh, Danny Davis. He's been the incumbent there since, I want to say... 22 years. Wow. Okay, thank you. Twenty two yeah. years. I was going twenty two years. You sure about that? Yeah, you would know. Because he was a he was a city alderman, then he became a commissioner, and then he became a congressman. All right. So, so uh, he was just in the political scene for a long time. He was in the political scene. You got an update for me? Uh, yeah. Man? Before we get going here, just some quick updates. First off, uh, we got people weighing in on the YouTube live stream. Boy, Doug Dog Doggerson is his name, and you know he's never weighed in before, and I'm glad he is. Uh, Dog Doggerson says, "Boy, I never thought I'd find myself listening to a Gilmore Girls podcast." <laughs> Sorry, dog. By the way, his nickname? Double D. Double D. Dog Doggerson. Coming up a little later, everybody, some Gilmore Girls trivia. Do not worry, but we do have actual news to talk about here. This is some national news here. A 2020 presidential candidate update. Uh, candidate Elizabeth Warren. She's had a hell of a week here. She has raised, uh, this is the news here, she's raised over uh, $24.6 million over the past three months, relying largely on a massive small donor opera, uh, operation to solidify her status as a leading contender for the 2020 presidential nomination. The Massachusetts Senator Hall announced on Friday is just less than $25.3 million. Her chief liberal rival, Mr. $27 himself, the one and only Bernie Sanders <laughs> of Vermont, he posted during the third quarter. So there you are, $24.6 million raised by Liz Warren. Liz Warren, uh, she's on a, You know what, Akina, from the last time on the show, I cannot, I, and I just honestly cannot remember. Are you... 
supporting Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, or are you not supporting anybody in this race? Uh, I feel still think it's uh, very early, but the my top two are Elizabeth Warren and Bernie. That's what my memory was. Yeah. Uh, and you have to, and, and of yep. course, uh, Bernie had the operation on Tuesday. Yes. Apparently, he's doing fine. He says he's going to be back at the debate. Uh, anyway, we, so we were talking about uh, you're running in the seventh congressional. Danny uh, Davis has been the incumbent since uh, 1997. Is that mm-hmm. right? Uh, and this traditionally was a West Side district and this is something that you want to talk about uh how the different the district has changed let's say uh since way back when in the 60s and the 70s and uh in the 80s and the 90s uh, there was an article that appeared i can't remember where it appeared but Mm -hmm. it talked about uh the advantages that some of the candidates may have due to racial uh racial identity and you said ben i have to talk about this so feel free go ahead yeah you know um so the article was a political article and um, essentially the argument that was being made was that, well, the, the wording was wrong in my opinion, because it said West Loop and the Loop have transformed the Illinois 7th Congressional District. Even though we know that this is a majority minority district, it's 70% nearly of people of color, um, 54% of that are black folks from the west side and south side, which flank the district and are broad swaths of the district. And um, unfortunately, in the article, um, when the south side and west side was referenced, it was very dog whistle and coded language. The next words that came after that were high crime rates. And that was all that was mentioned about it. But what we do know for fact is that the incumbent has been able to keep a stronghold on this seat because it is a predominantly black district in the same way that Bobby Rush has been able to keep a stronghold on his seat in Illinois uh, one. And so, you know, for me, I think that we, given the political atmosphere that we're in right now, we have to be very careful about that coded language, because in my opinion, you don't get to a Donald Trump by the white supremacists and the blatant racism that has gone on in this country. We get there by the subtle nuances. And we are just suffering from an identity crisis in the Democratic Party, period. And um, I think that when you have strong, young, progressive, African-American candidates who are running in black districts um, that we need to be careful with the words that we use around that. Um, I felt like it was an erasure of the the working class communities in that district. Um, and it's it's also the culture, and I think you touched on this brilliantly in the last segment, um, of corporate Chicago, that we don't have to deal with those people. That, that, you know, this district could change if we would only just, like, get rid of those sides um, of the city. Well, you can't get rid of those sides of the city, right? You can try, and we have seen um, a political and strategic effort to push people out um, of these communities. So our campaign is striking back and fighting back on that narrative. And I think it's just a complete lack of um, understanding of the district when you use language like that. I don't think any candidate who uses language of we have to ignore the west side or south side or that the only transformation happening in the district is the loop, they're going to be sadly mistaken on March 17th um, because that that is the 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 way that we win this seat against an incumbent is that you have to go deep, deep, deep into these neighborhoods that are working class neighborhoods, black neighborhoods, 
brown neighborhoods and you got to crush all the doors um, in order to do that. And so um, it, it was just very tone deaf. Um, I didn't like the, the coded language of erasure of these communities. And we're pushing back on that narrative. Mm -hmm. By the way, I, f I feel compelled at this point to m uh, mention that Anthony Clark was also running the race. He's been on the show many times. I'm sure I'll invite him back as well. Um, uh, it's so, uh, Kina, going back to something you said, I took notes on it. Identity crisis in the Democratic Party. Yeah. What did you mean by that? I think that why did it take, we'll, we'll talk obviously more about this, but why does it take so long for us to impeach or call for an impeachment of this president? Right. This idea, I reject the notion that it's working class white voters versus everybody else. I reject the notion that we can't work on workers' rights and criminal justice reform at the same time. And I think that we're pawning this hurt off on one constituency at the time, and we don't have a cohesive message of what that is. Um, and I think it's a generational battle that's happening in the Democratic Party um, where you see a clamoring and a sense of urgency coming from um, folks who we could be expanding the electorate with, mm -hmm. immigrant rights groups, women's rights groups, workers' rights. Uh, when the labor unions stopped voting for the Democratic Party, we should have known we were in trouble. And so the, the way I feel about uh, what's happening nationally is that all of the pushback that we're seeing from even the freshman uh, Congress people who have come in and um, established Democratic leadership shows the lack of direction of who, who we are as a party. But the truth of who we are is that we are a party that fights for workers' rights and women's rights mm -hmm. and social justice. We are the party that um, will tackle and have the difficult conversations about race, right, and not back down from that. And all of this middle-of-the-road, moderate, regressive talk uh, about very critical and urgent issues that are happening in our country right now um, is setting us back. Mm -hmm. um, we are not, we have to build the base in 2020 in order to take this administration out because the Republicans know who they are. <laughs> they know who they are. And even if they don't agree with it, they're going with it, right? Because they want to win. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's, it's time for the Democratic Party to be held accountable and to elevate new leadership. And that was one of the impetus for my run. Well, one of the, uh, when you said generational battle, I had a smile because uh, so many of the millennials I know, and this goes back to 2016 as well, uh, the candidate they gravitated towards was the oldest guy in the race. Mm -hmm. And in this show, a lot of people come in, we, they make fun of old white guys. <laughs> and they're eminently making fun of bullable to, of, but it's, it's ironic that, the old white guy in the race, Bernie Sanders, is like, the, in many cases, the freshest voice mm -hmm. talking about issues that really matter to people, really resonate with people. And these are age-old yep. values that should be yep. at the cornerstone of the Democratic Party. Why they're not, it's a whole other story. Uh, but it is interesting. I, I got to give your generation credit for one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> just one thing. No, more than one thing. <laughs> the only thing. You're not close-minded about age. I follow, just... You know what I'm saying? So, like so many young people embrace. Bernie. Let's Go unpack ahead. that. Let's park there and unpack that. Um, I think historically young people, this is not a millennial thing. These issues that we're fighting for are intergenerational fights, right? I think that what we're seeing now from my generation is that there are deadlines on climate change. We cannot wait. 20 years to figure out climate change. We have 11 years. There are things like gun violence that we cannot wait on. It's an urgent crisis. But if you look 
historically young people have been the fuel, whether it was in the 60s um, during the civil rights movements, second wave of feminism, whatever, what, what have you, um, young people have fueled it. I think what made Bernie stand out in that last primary was look at the comparison of what we had as options. We had Hillary Clinton, who had been deeply rooted and already established and grandfathered into the Democratic Party. And Bernie had already been a legislator, too, but he was not a part of that vein of corporate Democrats, right? He had been consistent um, on a lot of these these arguments that he was making, and he took an intersectional approach on how we need to be talking about climate change and environmental racism. Right. Like it's it's not you can't talk about one without the other. And so um, in the same way, um, I would flip it and say the same way that Donald Trump activated a group of people who felt disenfranchised in this country and felt like their voices were not being heard. Bernie was activating his grassroots movement as well. So um, I, I don't know if it's just I would say across the board in history, young people have been the rhythm and the, the heartbeat of any movement um, that gets past in this country mm-hmm. well and in Bernie's case I would say he's articulating the same values that he had when he was a young person back in the uh, late 50s early 60s he was at the University of Chicago taking right. part in protest uh, against racial segregation in many ways he's still articulating absolutely uh, expressing those same values been extremely consistent and that's why it's hard you know for me to because elizabeth warren you know has been consistent since she's been in in congress as well and has passed some some things that people may argue like her past of you know um being a republican and you know all of that history that comes along with that um i've been critical of bernie as well though you know i think that um as a as a black woman currently living in america um he went to she the people forum and I wanted to hear more from his campaign right like how do we save black mothers who are three to four times more likely to die during childbirth and he didn't have a, a, a very specific response to that those are real life issues that we're looking at it goes into the conversation of Medicare for all right like we have to broaden this conversation and that's why I say that the Democratic Party has this identity crisis because you know who are we who are we fighting for and how do we plan to to transform through big ideas this country? And the crazy part about it is that the momentum is there. The groundswell is there. So it's just like I, I'm like pulling my hair out like Dems, get it together because it's there. You can definitely feel it. Dems, get it together, man. I've been saying that for like <laughs> 50 years, way before you were born. I know the feeling. Uh, all right. Now, there's a couple points I that you, you, you made that I want to uh, come back to and address. Uh, one of them is this, has to do with an article that a friend of mine, Benji, if you're listening, shout out to Benji, sent this to me. Uh, it had to do with the fact that a significant number of black voters in this country, black Democrats, mm. uh, are, are with Biden. And uh, there was a, a deep dive taken that black voters trend, tend to go with the establishment candidate, quote unquote. So like, for instance, many black voters went for Hillary in 2016 uh, and many black voters right now, at least in the polls, are with Joe Biden. Uh, your thoughts on that? Uh, do you think it's an exaggeration? Do you think it's a generational? What are some of the uh, issues there? So I think it's both. I think it's an exaggeration. And one of the frustrations also is that the consultants that are in the Democratic Party, I'm sorry, it's they're they're garbage in the establishment Democratic Party. And they keep using these polls as a way to justify 
a lot of what they believe is the front runner or leader, mm-hmm. right? And that was our fatal mistake in 2016. That was a fatal mistake because they were not polling an electorate of people who had never voted before. So there were places where Donald Trump expanded the electorate in some places. And I think on the flip side, you could talk about AOC. She expanded the electorate in certain places in her district. Ayanna Presley, she expanded her, she's in Massachusetts 7. She expanded her electorate by 400% in some places. So the polls that were going out were inaccurate because they were all, they were polling people who were part of one pool of voters, but they didn't account for all the people who had never voted before or people who had skipped out on other primaries and were now uh, changing their stances on things. So that's one thing i think that we have to not lean all the way on those polls um the second thing is it is generational younger black voters are not for joe biden uh he does not represent what we see or how we want to see the country moving forward especially not when you were the architect of the 94 crime bill you you will not get my vote he is not the candidate that that i want now i know that we get to a place where whoever the democratic nominee is we have to think long and hard and be smart um just about who we're voting for but if we're in a primary and we have strong progressives like sanders like warren I think that they've been showing through both their small dollar donors, their crowd sizes, the policy platforms that they're putting forth, the coalitions that they're building. They are sitting in a place of coalition and movement building. Mm -hmm. And Joe Biden is sitting in an ancient, antiquated place where I think it will come out and we will be very shocked when the primaries happen. Uh, There was an uh, to this point, there was an article in the paper I saw the other day uh, talking about black older black voters, how they're being influenced by their children. I read the article, you know, the children are saying no don't vote for biden for xyz just just what you said uh-huh. and so it's your generation talking to my generation only black people uh and i just thought back to the conversations i i heard so many white people on this in 2016 so follow me on this one Kina. okay so uh my daughter's generation your generation uh would have a conversation white kids would have a conversation with their parents don't vote for hillary And because, you know, she's uh, too, Bernie's got the best programs. Bernie's talking about issues that are important to me. And the older, the geezer generation of white people, I could say it because I am of that generation, would respond by saying, well, you don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) You don't understand. There's no way this country's ever going to like Bernie Sanders. You got to be practical. You got to be pragmatic. They're not going to vote for Bernie Sanders. They're only going to vote for Hillary. So older white people, their attitude was, these kids don't know what they're talking about. I'm doubling down on Hillary Clinton. In your humble opinion, do older black people have that same a- attitude? Um, so I'm of a special demographic of voter, right? Black women. We are the most engaged voting block in the country. And what I will say is that politics in itself in black households, particularly amongst black women, is a kitchen table conversation. I remember when I had my first opportunity to vote, uh, my mom was in the kitchen and she was like cooking and she's like, you have your ID ready for tomorrow because we're going to to vote. Like, it's just like a ritual. Um, I don't think I don't think that black women are so stubborn that they're going to move like they won't be moved to another a a more progressive candidate and Elizabeth Warren has been making those strides in, in a lot of those areas. Um, so I don't necessarily, I think it's, 
which demographic you're speaking to. Um, I have found that, and this is just me anecdotally speaking, older black men do typically stay with their candidate, mm-hmm. you know, who they want, they're, they're, that's an established candidate that, you know, they're, they know. Um, I think black women are swayed by policy and, and implementation. And if you're giving the best policy and implementation, um, they are more moved to vote for that candidate. Um, so it, it is going to be interesting to see the exit polling of how all of this happens. But um, it is generational. And I think Joe Biden having that association with President Obama is reminiscent for a lot of people and nostalgic for a lot of people. But I think that with having Trump in the presidency, um, a lot more is at stake. Mm-hmm. And people are noticing that. Um, more and more. We saw it in primary elections like Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum running against or Doug Jones running against Roy Moore, right? Where um, those were establishment people that they were running against. Um, And in the case of Doug Jones, he won. Um, Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum was, it it wasn't the turnout that we wanted. So um, I think it's movable, but um, I, I hope that voters are going to be far more informed going to the polls this time. Well, there's this notion, and this is something else following up, and you said there's a notion on part of many uh, strategists in the Democratic Party that if we push too hard on the values uh, and issues that, let's say, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren are championing openly, uh, we're going to alienate and turn off swing voters. So don't push too hard on that. In fact, Rahm Emanuel, uh, the advice he gave uh, was uh, on, during the last He debate. gives horrible advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's not in office right now. <laughs> so Cannot listening to that, him, taking yeah. his own advice. Yeah. Um, don't go too hard. You're going to turn off the, the little bit. Well, you know. Take then, a chill pill, man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my background is in being a coalition built around single payer Medicare for all. And so many people make the argument that the Medicare for all is just too, it's too to the left and people won't buy into that. Well, actually, it polls really well amongst uh, Democratic voters and amongst people in the country. And that's why you see Democratic candidates say Medicare for some, Medicare for America. You know, uh, they'll, they'll make it a different variation of Medicare for all because they know that it polls really well. Um, I don't think it's too extreme to say housing is a human right. Healthcare is a human right. We should, we are $1.5 trillion stuck in student loan debt. We should make college public colleges free um, for students Um, that, that we should be implementing police accountability across this country. Right. Those things are not extreme stances. Um, I think that that's just a play out of the GOP handbook that unfortunately moderate Democrats have taken on and it's infected our party in my opinion. Uh, and, uh, you're definitely against the, the you are definitely uh we're going in a different direction from the conventional wisdom with everything you just say i i agree with you on that one but you're definitely going against conventional wisdom uh let's break it come a little uh get a local issue here so many chicago congressmen again uh kina is running for uh, the democratic primary for the seventh congressional district against an incumbent uh, danny k davis uh, but so many congressmen in chicago look the other way at local issues. Mm. So we're about, we're in the precipice of a teacher strike. I hope they cut a deal, but it looks as though there's gonna be a strike. And the traditional democratic congressional attitude is look the other way. Mm. 
I've had so many conversations. Our next two guests know this. They're historians of, of Chicago politics. I've had so many conversations with Chicago Democrats uh, about the role of a congressperson or a congressman or congresswoman in Chicago. Should they be a citizen of Chicago or do they let go of Chicago when they go to Washington, just talk about national issues, either look the other way on local issues or just join whatever the establishment is. So in, the, in 2012, I can't recall any Chicago congressman, and I'm looking at uh, mm. Jacob and Danny, they, they know, I can't recall any Chicago congressman who stood with the teachers in 2012. I don't, I don't recall any who actually stood with the, I know Jesse Jackson stood with the teachers. I know Nick Spazzato stood with the teachers. Uh, uh, I don't know any right now. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So who who is it right now? You're running for office. Are are you going to just stay out of it? Go, well, it's not my uh, issue or what's your position about the pending teacher strike? So this is extremely important, right? Um, because when we talk about me running for federal office, it's you going to legislate on comprehensive issues across this country. And when we talk about the public education system, there's so many layers of um, when we talk about crime, when we talk about environmental justice once again and when we talk about um, the success of our students and how um, we're preparing them, you have to take a stand. So in full transparency, my mother is a member of SEIU Local 73. Oh, I did not know that. Uh, my father is a, a 30-year dues-paying member of Teamster Local 743. I come from a union household. On top of that, I am the only insurgent candidate or pretty much the only candidate that's running in this Illinois 7th race who graduated from a CPS school. So I can speak to these issues and I can't stand on the sidelines about this. 16,000 of CPS students are homeless right now. Um, I think Chicago Teachers Union taking the stance of we want smaller class sizes, we need fair contracts, we have to take a decarceral approach of the uh, prison to sc- a school to prison pipeline, take the resource officers out, give us school counselors, give us librarians, give us uh, social workers. Why are we having this discussion and why are we gridlocked, right? And so um, I, what I will say is that Lori Lightfoot has inherited a mess from Rahm Emanuel. That's what I will say as well. Um, nevertheless, a solution has to happen um, because we can't continue to have another decade of what has happened in the city of Chicago around the Chicago public school system. Out of the 50 schools that were shut down, um, which was the largest public school shut down in American history in Chicago, 28 of them were in the district that I'm running in. And they were black and brown communities, right? And so, um, and they were black and brown namesakes, namesake schools like Emmett Till. So this is important because it, now we don't just have abandoned buildings and vacant lots. We have abandoned schools sitting in our neighborhoods. And this is the... The, the city budget is the moral compass. Any budget is the moral compass of a country or a city. And we know that there has been a divestment in education and an investment in policing in the city, um, particularly in the communities that have been hardest hit. So um, I have sat with uh, members of CTU. Um, a good chunk of my district are teachers. So um, they are coming to us with their concerns. And um, this is not just a fight 
for Chicago public school students. This is about the battle of corporate interests in our country, of charter schools coming and swallowing up the public school education system across this country. This is for all the kids in Louisiana and Mississippi who have lived below the poverty line and have the worst education educational ranking in the country. It's for the fact that our students are going off to college in this country and are remedial and reading levels and math levels. Um, this is about, this is the battle of the soul of our country. And so um, I've been proud to see how the unions have stood, stood tall with each other. Um, and like I said, unfortunately, Lori Lightfoot inherited a mess when she stepped into office. And I hope that they come to a solution. Um, but I, I could see why these teachers are not backing down. If they don't come to a solution, would you be one of those candidates who gets on the picket line with the teachers? I have to. I come from a union household. I have to. I'm a CPS student. I have to. I live in the Austin community. I've seen what has happened when CPS, uh, CPD officers have went into Marshall High School and tased a 16-year-old student. Right. This is um, we are not taking the necessary steps. We are being regressive in a lot of our, our approaches. And so um, I have to take a stand um, on this on this situation. And I know that the community feels the, the, the same way. These teachers obviously don't want all of these students out in the streets um, because they'll be striking. They're doing this because they love their students. And so um I think that the, it, we need to be having very innovative conversations about how we um, eliminate a lot of these problems. But fighting for class size, should, this should not be the fight that we're having in 2019. She is Keena Collins. She's running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. Keena, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. All right. And uh, the political know-it-alls are on deck. We're going to bring them on after this. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. One of the things that I am most proud of as mayor is our unequivocal support of immigrant and refugee communities. Now, why do I reference this important work in a speech about municipal finance? Because our growth strategy has to include continuing the reality of Chicago as a welcoming city. 
Contrary to the xenophobic rhetoric, immigrants contribute to our economy in significant ways. They always have. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian, Hannibal Burris. The real reason I came home is just because I was traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much and I don't have a full-time job in New York. I work a lot, but I'm not in New York. So it was just like, I don't, I don't need to be here anymore. And, I, and also I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago. So I have this center that I'm working on on the west side, Melvina Masterminds. It's going to be arts and, and then a tech program and after school programming for uh, kids in the, in the North Austin area. So just wanted to be back. There we go. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th. All right, everybody. Today's Ben Jarofsky show was brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago, and people, they are amazing. Best thrift shop in the city, if you ask us. I mean, they're sponsors of the show, but they are really good, all right? Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sunday, 12 until 7 p.m. And you can find more information about them at GreenElementResale.com. I'm on GreenElementResale.com, in fact, uh, myself here, and I'm just looking through. They have a lot of pictures of what they have featured at Green Element Resale. I'm just looking around here, seeing what I see as I look through the pictures. Oh, we got books. Let's see. Let me uh, read what book we got here. Uh, one of the books available, uh, Confrontation, it's called. What's it about? I don't know. You're going to have to go to Green Element Resale and find out what it is. It's Green Element Resale, books, lamps, clothes, antiques, furniture, you name it. They got it. It's Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, right between Devon and Granville. And you can learn more about them at Green Element Resale.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Keenan Collins has left the studio, but Dan Pogoshelsky and Jacob Kaplan, the political know-it-alls, are uh, in the studio. We just did a Facebook Live thing, right, That's D? Correct. That's correct. <laughs> uh, any, any updates, D, before I turn it over to the young man here? Uh, hey, just make sure you check out our Benny J bonus interviews. We uh, Like every weekend, we have a lot of interviews planned here. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a bonus interview for you to download. 6 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday, 5 a.m. on Monday. And one of those guests includes the Chicago Teachers Union Vice President, Stacey Davis-Gates. She's coming in studio here uh, after today's show. 
a lot to talk with her about here uh, in regards to the CTU strike. So make sure you uh, check out our Benny J bonus interviews this weekend. It's down of YouTubers who watching live right now, especially George. We got a new guy named George on the YouTube. And I don't think you want to wave at him. He's kind of a troll, but uh, oh. he's a oh, I bet you. <laughs> anyway, man. Hey, pay customer, George. <laughs> so George, hey man, uh, download uh, these Benny J bonus interviews. Wait, when you say he's a troll, is he a troll of the uh, I love Donald Trump persuasion or uh, a troll? It, I, don't I love Rom persuasion. He's just one of these guys who's like watching and like, oh, this is awful. Like, well, dude, why are you watching? <laughs> we love you anyway. <laughs> this sucks. Hey, man, as long as he's watching, who cares what he says? Oh, this is horrible. It's like Friday. He's doing like things he hates. I, I had a question, guys. I heard this rumor. I don't know if it was true, so I figured I might as well ask you guys on the air. So um, I had heard that. Ken Griffin had bought the renaming rights for the Ben Jurassic show. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's going to cost the other $125 million. Yeah. Yeah. It costs more than $125 oh, million, yeah. my friend. Yeah. I got a price, but it's a lot higher than the uh, Museum of Science and Industry. Those, those Benny J bonus interviews are downloadable only, all right? Chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast, subscribe. All right, very good. Yes, indeed. It costs a lot more than $125 Man, they just... All right, you, you raised it. I, I think it's... I can't even get the words out. I think it's a disgrace, actually, that that the Museum of Science Industry would sell its name uh, for 125 million. If you're going to sell your soul, it's got to be more than 125 million. That's number one. But number two, don't sell your soul. I don't understand. What happened to uh, to modesty and donations? Like a lot of the people that funded uh, the museum from the beginning, they didn't need to have their name on the building. Absolutely. Uh, actually, yeah. that's that's a great point because I thought in particular because of the history where Julius Rosenwald, this is somebody who done so much good for our country, uh, not just about here in Chicago, he was one of the, the founders of Sears. This is somebody who helped found schools for African-American children in the South. You're talking about someone who had did, done amazing things, and this man refused to have it named after him. And so to have a Johnny come lately, just say, hey, I, I'm gonna cut you a check for 125 million, that's what I found particularly galling. Uh, because I don't know if 125 million cuts it, and especially given what Julius Rosenwald did with that. So I don't know if you're familiar, but that was the formerly Palace of Fine Arts. The building was crumbling after the 1893 fair. And so it was one of the few buildings that was left from what was called the, the White City, right? It was grand, people had these amazing visions of what Chicago is uh, because of the ornate buildings that you had all over the Jackson Park uh, area for this and it was crumbling and out of his own pocket Julius Rosenwald decided you know what in Germany where his his ancestry was from they had a lot of you know still to this day right when you think of industrial in, uh, infrastructure right Germany typically is ahead of the curve and they had a museum of science and industries like we should have something like this in Chicago it's the city of broad shoulders it makes sense and in his modesty he refused to have it named after him and so that's that's definitely something that I think is is worth bringing up in this situation. Well, we mm -hmm. we were talking about this earlier, Jacob. Get your thoughts on this. Uh, Ramana Hussein was in the does the show every uh, Friday. Was saying that in her opinion, Chicagoans will not call it the Griffin Museum. They'll still call it the Museum of Science and Industry. I agree. You think that? It's, if history's any guide, yeah. 
I think. I think uh, as time goes on, you know, not our generation, but like 100 years from now, I wouldn't be surprised that people will call it the Griffin, the Griffin Museum. Yeah. Uh, well, I won't be around, around, around to hear it then. I won't be uh, upset by it. You're not uh, getting frozen? No, I'm not going to get frozen. <laughs> Even then, I still won't be listening. All right. Now, uh, this is a trivia question of sorts. And I did not know, when we were talking to Ramona, she was talking about the Sears Tower and the Willis. It's now Willis Tower. I said, wasn't there another transaction? So it's not even Willis Tower anymore? Or did I have that wrong? Am I uh, forgetting? Are you thinking maybe because the cellular field, right? So the White Sox. No, no, Sox, I know the White that, Sox. That, that became guaranteed. Or the yeah. Jan, John Hancock building being renamed. Is it the John Hancock yeah. building they got re- renamed? Yeah, I forget what the story yeah. is. I can't even remember what they renamed. So it's really that hard one. to get yeah. upset, I guess, about corporate names of buildings that uh, you know are just constantly being sold naming rights. Although I have a hard time calling it the Sears Tower anything other than the Sears Tower. Just yeah, because. It's, it's always like, been. in New York, is the Empire State Building going to be renamed? Would they go for that? I mean, come on. It's There's certain buildings that are iconic. Yeah. That, uh, okay, you know. <laughs> now, Empire State Building is a generic name. It it's is. the Empire State, hence the name, the Empire. But I'm sure there's people that are drooling over having their name on that. Yeah. I'm sure that's been proposed many times. I would not change the Empire State no. Building <laughs> at, at all. Yeah. Any name. One, of, one of the things that really comes to mind to me, so, um, you know, both Jacob and I, we started out with now Senator Martwick and... Uh, I, I former remember, state representative. Former state representative Markwick. That's right. And uh, I, I remember, you know, obviously our job was to advance forum in certain events, and especially when you're talking about local politics, it's uber local, right? So we would go to corned beef and cabbages that were organized by you know local parishes like Our Lady of Victory or the Jefferson Park Congregational Church, and uh, uh, something similar come up. I don't remember exactly what the scenario was, but I remember uh, Senator Markwick's like, you know, it's it's a shame because you see these people who are working at these like holy name societies, these corned beef and cabbage events, and here they are. These are people that, if you're looking at the percentage of their income, they are giving a lot more to their local charity, to their local school, to the, lo- uh, to the local um, team that they have, Little League, everything. A much higher percentage of their income is going to that. Additionally, they're in there and every moment they're not at work, they're there trying to help the local parish, the local school council. And these people get nothing. But because somebody has a couple more zeros next to their name, that just seems so unfair by its nature. I mean, what percentage of his income is I don't know. I could do the, I I, I will do the math. We joked about this before. (laughs) I was trying to figure out what percentage of his income, uh, of uh, Ken Griffith's income does 125 million represent, and then figure out what that would represent out of my income and see if I would be willing to give that to uh, the Science and Industry Museum, uh, to call it the Ben Jarofsky Science and Museum, (laughs) uh, which if I gave the money, I wouldn't want the the museum named after him. By the way, you mentioned... um, uh, you mentioned Senator Markwick, uh, and we've been talking about this earlier. I'd love to get your thoughts on this one. John Arena, I thought he was going to replace. This is how, uh, how I'm never on the inside of anything, <laughs> Jacob Kaplan. Okay, follow me on this, folks. This is really uh, a, a little deep dive here in Chicago politics. Uh, Robert Markwick uh, on this show many times. Uh, Danny used to work for him. I did too. Hey, Jacob did too. Did not know that. Yes. If I did it, I forgot. <laughs> I ran his campaign in 2012. Yeah. For state rap was the first one. You know, if I, I probably knew that and forgot it. <laughs> yeah. Can right. you believe you won with both of us on that? I, I, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so anyway, so Mark Wicks, uh, there was a vacancy. John Morrow left the state senate. He became, a, I believe, a judge. judge. Uh, so there's a vacancy, and it had, the, the way these vacancies are filled uh, in Cook County or in Chicago. Uh, 
politics is the committee may get together in the district and they'd select somebody. I figured um, uh, Mark uh, Markwick was in to get state center. I was putting all my money in Vegas on 45th Ward John Arena uh, be, uh, being nominated or named to fill the vacancy. It didn't happen. And, uh, and now the, then the word broke last week that uh, young John had taken a job with Lori Lightfoot in the planning department. Did you know this was going on, Jacob, or just news to you? I had rumblings this was in the works for a while. Uh, yes. Kaplan knew. <laughs> uh, so you weren't surprised by it? No, I wasn't surprised. It, it took longer than uh, I thought it would, but I was not surprised. And I know some people were up in arms, you know, especially up in, in, in the neighborhood. Oh, how could you hire this guy? But, I mean, you know, it, it's... So if somebody loses office, are they no longer qualified to hold any jobs in, in government or anything like that? I don't know. People make some ridiculous arguments when these types of things happen. So, well, one I, of the argument- of course the argument is there's a, there's hiring fee freeze, and that's a fair that's, that's a, fair a very fair argument. Yeah, <laughs> but I saw some other arguments that I didn't quite agree with uh, out there. That, yeah, but that argument is is fair, I think. Yeah, why in the middle of a hiring freeze when you're right before <laughs> a strike? Not to, all that, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh-huh. the, the optics isn't that what they call that? The political optics of it uh, the other argument uh, that is made and get your thoughts on this one is follow me this i remember this argument uh, with sue garza she's a 10th ward alderman and she defeated a gentleman named john pope a very close contentious relationship uh, election and uh after that election uh, Rahm Emanuel appointed Pope to a job in the water department, named a job in the water department it was widely viewed by people in the 10th ward sue garza especially as uh an effort to keep him alive and going strong so that he could run against her uh, in the subsequent 2019. It did not happen that way. John Pope is pretty much retired from electoral politics. That's, I think, an underlying concern of folks in uh, on the northwest side. Jacob, do you think that's uh, legitimate or do you think John Arena is out of politics? Oh, I'm, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to, uh, to, to run again in the future. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but I think for now... He'll be happy with this job. And, uh, you know, the one thing is, you know, I live in the 45th Ward and you can criticize John about things, but he was great on economic development issues in in the neighborhood. And he did great jobs at in Jefferson Park and Six Corners at bringing new businesses in. And that's basically what he's been hired to do uh, for for the city now. So I think that, uh, you know, it's well within his wheelhouse and it's a perfect fit for him, honestly. All right. Well, I I I. Good for you, John Arena, to get the job. I'm just like, the timing is a little awkward. Uh, we're in the middle John of a hiding. Arena button there, too. Yeah. All right. Now, this is, uh, <laughs> let's let's move move on to this. Uh, Dan brought in all these buttons before we get into some of the other issues today. I'm just having a fun. <coughs> these are political buttons, and you've been telling me for Did a while. Did I end the naming rights for the button collection here at the Ben Jarowski Show? Yeah. The, the Daniel Pokorzelski honor, Honorable uh, Button Collection. There we yeah. go. That's, there you go. They're, they're the buttons. <laughs> and I just plucked from them three buttons here to talk about. Uh, and this would require, what, what, what young Daniel has been saying for a while is that I should put up uh, the buttons, get, get some kind of banner or something, and then and hang the buttons on, and there's some great classics. So I really or a corkboard, a corkboard. Yeah, that would be good. This one here, I'm showing this to the camera, uh, and but the, uh, for the down uh, download the podcast, it it's a a button. It's I don't know what it's for. I guess it's mocking Republicans. It shows a pictures of George W. Bush and John McCain. Uh, it says GOP liars, thieves, and sinners. Where'd you get this button? You know, I try to hustle all the time for buttons, so I don't know where I got that particular button. Nothing memorable shoots out at me. 
but uh, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it. I, I mean, <laughs> that I was would, back then. Yeah. Now it's uh, <laughs> so. Like, who put this button? Is this a Democratic button that's mocking? It Republican? was someone selling it. So usually, so you'll sometimes see like at street protests or events, you'll actually have where people will be selling them. I or see. sometimes, uh, so for example, Jacob and I, we've both gone. Uh, last year was in Springfield, if I remember correctly, the um, American Political Item Collectors Conference. Yeah, the, uh, so, there, and there's they have Midwest uh, events too, where you can just go trade buttons. It's a lot of fun. So. And, well, uh, you know, yeah, Dennis is showing the button, and then it's just picture of uh, images of all these Republican presidents uh, surrounding him. And then, of course, this button brought back memories. Uh, this is Bill Clinton, Clinton for president, 1992. The Doctor Show. Look at that man. Uh, Clinton for brought back memories. Did you support Clinton in 1992? I was seven years old. Oh, you're so, seven uh, years old. Too young, man. Uh, right, let me put the button up and you do the Clinton impression. Oh. Str- if you're downloading, yeah. you're missing out. Go, <laughs> no, Ben. Uh, hi, Jacob. Uh, Bill Clinton here. Uh, I've always liked you in the 45th Ward, Chicago. And, nice work. Uh, Rob Martwick's a great guy. And <laughs> stop making fun of John Arena's new job, right, Ben? That's my Bill Clinton imitation. It's a, it's a pretty pain. good one. Yeah, oh, wait, look at this button. Hold on. This button. Look at this. What is this? Hold on. Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I've, I've How'd that get in there? Well, I, I, love it. I, I love the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing that I've developed over. It's in one day. Uh, I saw the Gilmore and one last. So yeah, Bill Clinton for president brought back memories. Bill Clinton looked very young. And then what's this one? The last one. My ideal political party. Star Trek. Oh, duh. <laughs> Beat me up, Scotty. <laughs> yeah, right. I needed a millennial to help me with that one. Where'd you get that one? You know, someone was selling it. Buttons. Or trading. It's just, yeah. you get so many of these. Where did you, by the way, Ben, get this Harold Washington uh, bust? bust I, I can't ask. remember who. It comes from our good friend Hector oh, on Hector. Facebook. Yes. You're the man, Hector. Nice. Uh, wow. Everybody knows, I make no secret about it, that in printed. my opinion, Harold yeah, Washington is the greatest mayor the city of Chicago has ever had in my lifetime. I cannot speak for lifetime. <laughs> I agree, too. Before. Okay, we're in agreement yeah. on that. Yes. Greatest mayor the city of Chicago has for ever sure. had. No one, in my humble opinion, has come the- close. Yes. All right. So Hector must have heard that, and he sent this to me. It's very cool. And so I'm really happy to have Harold. I'm proud to vote for him. I voted for him twice. And uh, you want last last mayor you voted for one probably. <laughs> oh, actually, no. I voted for Lori Lightfoot. Uh, uh, you're last killing one. me, no, Ben. No, Come on. No. I voted for Lori Lightfoot. I'm very. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm. Open the truth about comes this. out. Uh, uh, well, no, the, I pretty much was open about it at the okay. time. I had my issues. I've discussed it many times with many people about Tony Perkwinkle. Uh, do you regret your vote for Mayor Lightfoot yet? I'm No, I do not regret my vote. That's a great question, and thank you for putting me on the spot. <laughs> I've been learning. Very, very disappointed with what's going on with the teachers. I was very disappointed with their decision uh, to fight the grassroots collaborative a suit against Lincoln Yards. Uh, I was disappointed because it was contrary to some of the things she was saying on the campaign trail, particularly about Lincoln Yards. Uh, so I, I'm not at the stage where I say I regret it because maybe she could cut a deal with the teachers. I'm just trying to be positive. You know, maybe. I hope so. All right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think we all hope so. Yeah. Yeah, we all hope so. And I hope she uh, <laughs> hires the, the social workers, nurses, and, yeah. you know, that any civilized school system would have and put it in the contract and not make it part of the budget. Pro- Jacob Kaplan, you've been around. You know about how they play games with budgets. Of course. Right? And it's not that much money that's being, I mean, come on, in the grand scheme of things. 
you know? Well, Jacob uh, is the executive director of the Democratic Party. Uh, Tony Prickle is the head of the Democratic Party. When Tony Prickle came to the uh, hideout, this is two hideout shows ago. I don't think you were there. She was very funny and very honest. She said she learned uh, about budgeting from watching Richard M. Daly and the games he played with vacant job positions. So th the notion that by putting, saying you're going to hire a nurse or hire a social worker and making a budget position is far different than actually hiring yeah. a nurse putting a nurse in a school it's a vague promise you put that on the budget then you can spend the money for something else mm -hmm. that's richard m daly figure mm -hmm. that one out jacob and, absolutely you know so anyway i'm hoping for better things uh from Lori and we schools. all are yeah, we, we um, all are here's a question I, I was curious um with the movement for an elected representative school board here in chicago has that at all come out in negotiations whether the mayor would support that I don't believe that's uh, even on the table. There's, I've not heard anything. Obviously, I'm not sitting at the negotiating table, but um, I have not heard that. And it's definitely not a strikeable issue. Obviously, that's part of the. That's part one of the issues uh, that's making this a very complicated co uh, negotiating session, particularly for the teachers. Is that the state law that passed in 1995 when you two gentlemen were too young to know about it? It was the quote unquote school reform mm -hmm. bill uh, made reserved changed the law so that Chicago. Uh, the sh teachers in Chicago can only strike over a couple of issues, money issues primarily, and they you cannot strike over lower class size and you cannot strike over uh, other employees in the schools, which are two of the most contentious issues in this negotiation. So the teachers are kind of in a box there. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the yeah. issue that's really driving them is the notion of not having enough nurses, social workers, et cetera, and uh, class size, but they can't technically strike over that, that would be illegal, uh, and Mayor Lightfoot could then counter with a lawsuit, go to court, get an injunction, uh, hit the union with fines, maybe throw Stacey Davis Gates in their jail, <laughs> or, or uh, Jesse uh, in the jail. Was the last time that a union, Chicago union leader, was thrown into jail, was that with uh, Gene Byrne in the fire department? Has that has it happened since then? I don't believe, but th there were firefighters thrown in. Uh, there are still yeah. firefighters on the force. You guys must know this. Who remember? Oh yeah, that was a big deal. Big yeah. deal, bitterly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you guys weren't even born yet, but they would they remember bitterly the replacements that came in, and uh, there's still some firefighters to remember that. I think you're. I think that's the last time it happened in 1980. The firefighters because because uh, Richard J. famously would not allow for a union right with the police officers so that was the police officer union well he had all these handshake agreements he Correct. made sure that uh, there was never a strike yeah. when he was mayor well that was when you know. we had Pete Cunningham who came in the the studio and he was a uh, speechwriter for Richard M Daly uh, and uh, he's a good friend of Rahm Emanuel's and he's more way more the center uh, than I am and he was pointing out that Richard M Daly's attitude toward unions is why make them the enemy and he was always trying to cut a deal, make him the friend. Uh, and that was very much, and he was very proud of the fact there were no teacher strikes on his watch. Uh, I have mixed feelings about that attitude, but uh, Jacob Kaplan, what's your thoughts about the attitude of a mayor? Make no enemies, let's just be friends. Well, I, it, you gotta wonder, well, number one, you know, this is, it goes back to a lot of the principles of unionism, which is what happens when management and, uh, and it gets too friendly with with uh, you know with the union leaders, which I think I think there was some of that happening as well, where the uh, some of the union leaders may have been too friendly with the uh, you know with the mayor or the uh, administration in in essence. And uh, so were they really getting were the workers getting the best deal, and was the city getting the best deal? And you know, 
there's arguments that that's kind of creates a conflict in that regard and people shouldn't be too close you know that bargaining is a natural you know process every time and and that's how these things get worked out so i don't know you know if, you know every situation is different but uh just from my union background and all that i get a little uh weird when unions are too close to uh to management or to uh to you know the heads of uh of government in this case you know i think that uh there's those are two different roles so dan what's your thoughts on it well on the one hand if you if you're in the position where you're the mayor right shouldn't want to try to demonize the unions. Look what happened with Rahm Emanuel, right? Who tried to, we all remember the, the famous, uh, you know, expletive directed at Karen Lewis, mm -hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> but as Jacob said, it's up to the unions to make sure that they're still looking out for the interests of their membership. Yeah, it's what unions are about. Uh, in the 90s, it was a little chummy with the Chicago Teachers Union uh, and Mayor Daly, uh, that's for certain. Uh, all right, so since I have the two of you in studio, Jacob, I have to ask you a Lori Tony question. <laughs> of course. Uh, and uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwinkle obviously ran against each other for mayor, came down to a runoff. Uh, Lori was the decisive victor. We've talked about this uh, many times, Jacob, with you on the show. Uh, in the aftermath, it seems as though there's a, still a reservoir of bad feeling between well, the two. I think I think the media loves to continue that narrative. I gotta I gotta argue that. Go I mean, ahead. just the other day there was a story about how uh, this is really Tony Preckwinkle's proxy war with Lori. That she's basically pulling the strings on the unions and and they all want to get back at Lori because they back Tony. I mean, that's come on, that's ridiculous. Uh, Tony and Lori have had good talks, including very recently since you know, since the election. Actually, Mayor Lightfoot agreed to uh, co-host our party fundraiser for the Cook County Democratic Party next month on November 5th. So, you know, that's something where we're working together and Lori has agreed to, uh, you know, to be on the invite for that event, to show up to it. And so we have a good working relationship there, Tony and Lori. And I think that, you know, Tony certainly got the support of the teachers union and SEIU during the mayor's race, but that doesn't mean that she's now pulling the strings on, on this strike. So I just, some of the narratives out there, I think are a little ridiculous and are being stretched, uh, uh, to a, uh, to a large degree. Yeah. I agree with you about that narrative about the, the it, I flip, I look at it from the teacher's perspective. So they're going on strike. Uh, they're like mindless pawns in this game. Just exposing themselves to a lot of economic hardship potentially yeah. uh, going without paydays uh, because they're trying to redo an election that uh, come on yeah <laughs> uh, I just, yeah, that is a pretty absurd uh, argument all right let's talk about uh, uh, the general direction of the Democratic Party as we head off uh, into uh, the middle of this impeachment the last time you guys were on I yeah it wasn't impeachment the Pelosi had not uh, Joined None of this stuff had blown up. I don't yet. think Ukraine had happened yet. Well, it happened. We just didn't know about yeah. it. Yes, uh, it happened. The phone call. It, it, it wasn't made public yet. Yeah. Uh, so uh, are you guys you know, in the. You know, we were in Ukraine at the time Giuliani was supposed to be there. Yeah. The two of you? We, we arrived in Kiev on May 10th. That was when he canceled his trip. Famously. Were you negotiating with the president? Uh oh. Uh, breaking news here. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All yeah, right. <laughs> Jeez. Did Donald Trump Busted. say, hey, Jacob, yeah. <laughs> dig up some dirt in Joe Biden? Yeah. Uh, so are you in the about time school on the impeachment inquiry, or are you in the nervous Nelly school? I'm worried about swing voters uh, in Michigan school. Uh, I'm always nervous about those things, let's be honest. But. I was for impeachment 
at least impeachment hearings before, but this has just solidified it. I mean, you look at what's what's coming out and, and the president not even needing to hide anything. I mean, he says it out in the open. You know, he wants China and Ukraine's help to uh, to investigate Joe Biden. I mean, this stuff is just and the, and the fact that the Republican Party has still not said anything with the exception of three senators is just incredible. I mean, this is. It's it's how can you have a U.S. president uh, colluding with foreign governments to dig up dirt on their political opponent? I mean, that's just saying those words. It's the most ridiculous thing, uh, you know, in in my lifetime, certainly in in, in American politics. So uh, how can we not begin impeachment proceedings when this is happening? It's otherwise you're, you're you're saying that this is OK and this behavior is fine. And then what's the point of even having a democracy? Honestly, I mean, yeah, I completely agree with Jacob. Um, when you look at something like this is what uh, something like this is exactly what's going to destroy this this country when you're talking about having foreign powers um, involved in our elections I mean you're literally asking and inviting uh, other powers to be involved in selecting our our president if that's not impeachable what is uh, are you concerned at all about swing voters in Michigan and how this will play with them? I have my feelings on that, but just curious what your thoughts but, are about the, the notion that if the Democrat that we're losing voters if well, we go hard at Trump. If 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 that's the case, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Those people have al- are already not going to be with us if that's the case, because the narrative by the Republicans already, with commercials coming out saying that. They're going to use impeachment to try to steal the election from Trump. That's already out there. So at this point, all you can do is double down and try to see this strategy through. I agree. And I think, well, number one, the the polls are already showing that people are moving more and more in favor of at least having the impeachment hearings of majority are in favor now. So I think public opinion is on our side as Democrats. Number two. Independent voters are important, and I think some of them are naturally coming our way anyways. But don't forget, it's also just the 50,000 Democrats who didn't turn out in suburban Milwaukee that lost the election for Trump or didn't turn out in Detroit. So as long as we have our base energized, and I think they are all, all, you know, based on everything I've seen, I don't know if we have to worry. We still have to worry about independence, certainly, but... We have to worry about the base more than anything. This is getting them energized. You haven't been on this show since the, the last debate. And uh, we've been discussing this uh, immensely. There was a debate uh, within the debate at ABC had Rahm Emanuel and um, I'm forgetting the name of the the director of Howard Dean's old group. Anyway, uh, they, uh, move on. No, not move on. Uh, but whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is, is democracy that, for America. Yeah, democracy yeah. for America. And they were having a debate where the democracy for America person. Well, do you got it, D? It's Yvette Simpson, and I have the audience. Yeah, let's say Yvette Simpson. Let's hear what they had to say. All right, just hang tight here. Just telling you, it was Yvette Simpson. <laughs> I like to grab the audio here in a All second. Right. I got it. So how's it going today, guys? Yeah. It's <laughs> doing good? Yeah, we're doing, doing really well. Yeah. Just waiting for that audio. I know. Yeah, that's okay. Cut you off guard. When you said if it's on, I thought he had it. Duck. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, here we go. I think progressives are really where the energy is right now. And I think if you can expand the electorate, which is what we saw in 08, bringing out new voters, particularly brown and black voters, young voters, energize the base where you don't have to change your message much, right? Just go out and get those voters excited. We can win. But hold on, Ron. I saw you shaking your head real quick. What, what's the rebuttal here? Well, first of all, Donald Trump is going to do a great job turning out our vote. And in 08, as well as in 92, 96, and in 12, is because both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama brought other people, not just people in the party other people to the party 
thoughts on the debate between Yvette Simpson and Rahm Emanuel. I'll start with you, Jacob. Uh, I think I think I agree more with Yvette on this, but I also think that that Trump is bringing more people into our camp regardless, just by being Trump. So I don't think that, uh, you know, again, this argument that we're going to lose all these independents and we're not going to pick up new people. I just, you know, it's hard to think about calculating the math of how this is all going to add up, but I still think it works in our favor, you know, everything, how it's going. Uh, the reason why we won in DuPage, Lake County, LaSalle County was because of Donald Trump in the first place in 2018. So I think that in and of itself shows that Donald Trump is a motivating factor because for so long, these were bastions of the GOP. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump comes along and that's changed. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would certainly hope the Democratic Party does not too much, too closely follow uh, Rahm's suggestion because I don't think you can, when you're talking about turning red districts or purple districts blue, you're talking about getting swing voters who despise Donald Trump but just can't tolerate him anymore to, to vote Democrat. That's different than trying to get P- Democrats who sit out an election to vote, which is what you were talking about, yeah. which is the reason why Democrats lost in Wisconsin and Michigan in the last time around. And Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania. And I don't know if Donald Trump is enough of an agent alone if to get people in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania to come to the polls. Do you follow what I'm yeah. saying? Uh, it I may- think we'll be working on that, though. And I, I don't think that, unlike in 2016, when, you know, I can just speak from personal experience, you know, I, the last month before the November election in October, I was like, you know, we didn't have, we were pretty solid here in Cook County, let's be honest, for, for Hillary. And I was like, where do you want me to go on a weekend to go knock on doors for Hillary? And they were like, oh, don't worry about Michigan, Wisconsin, we'll send you to Iowa. And I'm like, Iowa, really? They had nobody going to Michigan or Wisconsin, practically. And look at what happened there. So whose decision was that? It was whoever was in Hillary's, you know, making these political decisions up on whatever level. So I don't think we're going to make that same mistake as Democrats this time around. I think we're going to see a lot of people from Chicago and Cook County going up to Michigan and Wisconsin on weekends and making sure that those votes come out uh, come November 2020. Well, let me start by telling people in Wisconsin, <laughs> Michigan, how much I love you. Cheeseheads, I love you. <laughs> already offered. I'd root for the Packers if they would vote Democrat. I cut it. I'm trying to cut a deal with Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could ever root for the Packers. Um, Do you have any folks that listen to your podcast from Wisconsin? Yeah, somebody does. I see the the numbers. There's somebody out there. Hello, I, Milwaukee. I, I, <laughs> my guess is they're already diehard uh, uh, Democrats if they're listening to this podcast. But there may be a Republican or Are two. Are we going to have there. a Laverne and Shirley intro? Very good, Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> Young Daniel's showing a little nostalgic. Uh, we get kicked off for copyright, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> we cannot. Uh, we cannot do that. By the way, are you concerned as I am about the advantage that Donald Trump has, at least in fundraising so far, and so much money being poured uh, into internet uh, advertisements? A huge. He has a huge fundraising advantage over the Democrats. You think the Democrats can close that? Uh, they can close it, but it all depends on how active Democrats want to be. My worry is about the complacency that Democrats might have because we did well in 2018. And in 2020, it's a different ballgame because it's a different ballgame in every election. So one of the things I actually had come on here wanting to rant a bit about was uh, it's petition collection collecting season. And so, you know, if you want to see somebody on the ballot, whether it's for president, for Senate or for any of the local positions, which are extremely important because of the fact that making sure that you have folks down the ballot is is how we can get people to have local turnout. Right. And so I've actually been out, uh, you know, over the past few weeks, as Jacob has as well, and many others going, hey, 
knock on their door. Hi, I'm here for the Democrats. I'm trying to get Democratic candidates on the ballot. And then you get answers like, oh, that's 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 really great. I'm not going to sign right now because, um, uh, you know, I don't know who these people are um, that you're that you're collecting for. And for those that are listening, if any of you have done this right where you are refusing to sign for a Democrat, I just want to let you know that you should really feel guilty. Okay. No, you should. Yeah. You should really feel guilty because you're talking about people like myself, like Jacob, who are volunteering to go out there. And if you're thinking to yourself, like, I'm not going to sign, but I wish you luck. And then you're going to be there like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, we lost. And yes, if you don't have Democrats that are running for all these positions, if you're not even, you're, it's not even about like, hey, will you go out there? Because honestly, what 2016 showed us is that voting is not enough. You can't compete with these high dollars unless you get active. So if you didn't knock on doors, if you didn't call people, if you didn't do that, if 2016 wasn't enough, you better be doing more if you don't want to see the same outcome happen. And so to those folks who have done that, who have said, you know, I'm not going to sign for Democrats to get them on the ballot. Um, you're doing it wrong. And you, we need to make sure that we get as many Democrats in as many positions. So if you have someone come to your door and they're collecting signatures for Democrats, please sign. Agreed. I mean, and, and it's, I love it because people are always like, oh, I'm all about democracy and ballot access and all those things. Well, <laughs> that's the way our system's set up. You have to sign to get people on the ballot. It doesn't require you to vote for them. It's just to get them on the ballot. And shouldn't we, you can sign for as many people as you want in the same primary. You can? Well, yeah, you can. Uh, see, I just literally, I, <laughs> confession here, if someone comes to me, uh, <laughs> Ben's confession. Uh, if someone comes to me and asks to sign, I'll sign unless I know that that person, if it's never happened, but that I actually know that the person is really demented. Uh, like, for instance, I would never, well, I would never sign for a Republican, but there was the Nazi running as a Republican. Would in, you sign for Willie Wilson? Oh, yeah. Well, Willie definitely would sign for Willie Wilson for mayor. Uh, would I sign for Willie Wilson running as an independent against Durbin? Uh, Durbin? I don't know. I love <laughs> Willie dearly, but, uh, I, you know, to, to knock out a Democratic incumbent, uh, I don't know if I'd sign for Willie. That's a good question. I, as much as I love Willie Wilson, can I get Man, back to you on that? I'm, I'm glad that I'm good questions. I, no, you're asking me good questions. You're a good mentor. Because... <laughs> I'm balancing my love for Willie Wilson and the value I think he's brought to Democratic or to uh, city politics, I should say. It's a uh, nonpartisan race. Uh, it, he's the reason there was a runoff in 2015 with Rom. So my love for Willie uh, our, and our disagreement on politics, Willie's way more conservative than I am. He's been on the show. We've argued tax policy strenuously. I'll bring him back on the show. So do I want Willie Wilson? I would I would sign if Willie was running as a Democrat. Uh, yeah, I would, de I would definitely sign if he's running as a Democrat. Uh, but uh, I, I signed for everybody. And I didn't. I thought you could only sign for one person, Jacob Kaplan. In municipal races, but not in... in and these crazy yeah. laws. What, what is the justification for having a distinction between well, a municipal race and, in, and, and, and a, uh, what, a municipal a race wife. is nonpartisan. That's no justification. That's just an explanation. The argument, I guess, is in the same primary. The whole point is it's a primary. So you should be able to get as many people on the ballot for a primary. 
and but not for a municipal race. We just municipal want one race candidate. Is not a pri- it's not a primary. It's just you know, it's it's you support one person. I would I would con- <laughs> I would contend that the, the the reason why you can only allow one signature in a municipal race is to protect incumbents. That is my position, young Daniel. What do you think about that? I think it's a fair argument. Okay, <laughs> it could be, but I will say it, it, people like to act like it's oh, it's the old Chicago way. It's so easy to kick people off the ballot. It is not easy, and you That's can look at some accurate. of these ward races last time around that had twenty candidates. Some of them, I think, the twentieth ward had. What do they have, 18, 19 candidates? I mean, it is, or 24th Ward has also had a ton. I would argue that the election worked great in the 20th Ward because uh, we were, the, the, the two candidates result that ran, Nicole Johnson uh, and Jeanette, Jeanette Taylor, Taylor were excellent, yeah. uh, both guests on this show. And Jeanette Taylor is a dynamic, outstanding uh, alderman. So I would argue that the abundance of democracy and candidates worked the benefit of... Agreed. But but people will say, oh, it's so, easy, it's so easy to kick people off the ballot. It wasn't. Most of those people that wanted to run in the 20th Ward got to run. So I... Valid point, young Mr. <laughs> Kaplan. Valid point. The some people that he's alluding to is me. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. Wah, wah. Yeah. All right, now... Wait, uh, that's not copyrighted for Jim, is it? Yeah, oh. I think it is somewhere. That's correct. Uh, thank you, Robert Mueller. All right, be, uh, before we head out the door... Uh, Dan, you you alerted me to a story, an excellent yes. story in the New York Times, which I would not have seen uh, because I, I read the paper paper, and this came out on the internet. It's pro- it hasn't hit the paper paper on the. I think it's probably a Sunday exclusive. Young Daniel, tell people what this story is about. Uh, I urge folks to read it. The art- name of the article is "We Were Wiped Out: New Yorkers Prayed on Chicago Cabbies," and it talks about how basically a small pool of investors game the system here in Chicago because of the fact that we had medallions that were significantly lower than what people were expected to pay in New York City. And a, um, I believe uh, the article actually ties in with the Daly family where you had in Moscow, uh, Patrick Daly. <laughs> of course, the, ties into Moscow too, right? I know, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. So, comes um, together. yeah. Patrick Daly being the son of former mayor Richard M. Daly. Go Correct, ahead. yeah. And he, he had met with a gentleman that was involved um, somehow in, in finance and during that conversation, uh, he let this investor know that you had a situation where in Chicago, these medallions in the tax cab industry was, was ripe for something, uh, ripe for this kind of situation where you could come in and try to get that value up. And the net result has been, when you look at the, the taxi cab industry, is it's often been uh, one of the ways that immigrant communities and, and immigrants can work their butts off and try to provide uh, a reasonable middle class lifestyle. And the stories that are brought up here are how the subsequent uh, collapse after this New York infused um, bubble, asset bubble, raised these prices sky high, has left um, uh, industry devastated. And of course, though, I'm sure that Uber and Lyft are a big part of why that industry is devastated too. And I think I don't know if the article talks about it. I haven't read it yet, to be honest. But I would assume that the the medallion prices have also plummeted, and their their worth is is gone way down since Uber and Lyft are are so you know popular and used here now. So, but it is it it is crazy just the tie-ins between the dailies and the and the, the medallion you'll, industry. You'll, you'll remember that this also asset appreciation happened while most of it happened while Richard M. Daly was mayor. Yeah. The Uber and Lyft connection was not a, a heavy point in the article. I don't even know if they, they touched upon I th- it. I th- they did. They did talk about it because that is what popped the bubble. Popped the bubble. But yeah. If, if you look at it, um, the appreciation still was dramatically higher uh, before that. Absolutely. Was. You know, and it, 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 it really talked, uh, it was a, 
a great expose uh, about the wheelings and dealings uh, that it can occur, occur in the city of Chicago uh, when the powerful interests have access to powerful politicians. Can I can I read and, uh, a, a, yeah, a fragment of it? Mm-hmm. The most ambitious expansion targeted Chicago, home of the nation's second largest cab industry, a New York Times investigation found. New Yorkers eventually bought almost half the city's medallions, records show. Some adopted an especially aggressive approach according to documents and interviews. First, they purchased medallions at bargain rates and established big fleets of cabs. Then they pumped up medallion prices. Finally, they sold their medallions to their drivers and to rival fleet operators just before the collapse. The incursion created extraordinary wealth for a small number of New Yorkers. One New Yorker's network of companies bought $30 million of Chicago medallions and later sold them for $185 million. He purchased eight homes, including a house in one of the most elite neighborhoods in the Hamptons, records show. Another who made millions in both cities opened a polo club near his 10-acre estate in New Jersey. They used this to get rich, said Dimitrios Menelotsis, 52, a Chicago cab, cab driver from Greece. Yeah, no, that's that's very well done. First of all, very good radio voice. And yeah. Daniel, it's all those weddings he's been uh, officiating that he's getting better at it. But uh, yeah, that, that, was, <laughs> that is uh, a key takeaway in that article. And again, yeah, the bubble burst and a lot of Chicago yeah, cabbies got look, screwed. Was, it, they were the, the, these people were led to believe, these immigrants, that like, hey, this will be a good retirement nest egg. Why don't you purchase it? It's appreciated so much because it had gone on for years. And then... It went down. All right. Uh, we have to head out the door. Any uh, last thoughts you want to make before I let you go? Jacob, you have anything you want to leave people with before you head out the door? Nope. Just uh, it's petition time. If anybody wants to help get Democrats on the ballot, cookcountydems.com. Uh, we always welcome volunteers. And, uh, you know, just uh, if somebody comes to your door, like Dan said, please sign their petition. Sign their, I sign every petition. All right. Okay? I'm every not, petition. I'm not accusing you, Ben. I've si- I think <laughs> I signed Tony Preckwinkles three times. I didn't even vote for her. Wait, every <laughs> petition you sign Republican and Libertarian petitions? No, I'm talking Democrats. about Democrats. I'm just making <laughs> so, sure. Geez. You Listen, said man, every, sir. I, I, I have was... to say this. <laughs> and and I say that I've been so... Uh, it seems like you think... I've been a Democrat my whole life. I'm, who am I kidding? You know what I'm saying? Uh, you have a button there that talks about Star Trek being your favorite political party. So I, I have to even, make sure. I didn't even know what it was. So I have a lot of issues with the Democratic Party. and I've been fighting Democratic candidates my whole political career, my whole journalistic career. But uh, who am I kidding? I've been a Democrat my whole life. I cannot recall a Republican... I'm trying to think that I ever vote for a Republican. Judy Bartopinka? Uh No, I voted for Bernard Carey over um, Richard M. Daley for state's attorney in 1980. How about there that? I had to go back in that's, time. That's a way back. Yeah. See if you got a button for no, Bernie Carey. No love for, for Judy Bartopinka from you? Uh, no, I voted for the Green Party candidate uh, in <laughs> the 20, um, what was it, 2006, 2006 election. For 10 trivia points, what was his name, Jacob Kaplan? The Green Party candidate for governor in 06. Yes. Was it Rich Whitey? Uh, well, Whitney? The, the, that's right. <laughs> that's the joke that, that everybody was a joke. made. I know. Whitney. That's right. Whitney. <laughs> yes. right. I've always I got it right, though, right? Okay, yeah, Boom. Right. He got his credentials for today. <laughs> yeah. Political know-it-all. Political know-it-all. Yeah. Uh, we'll end it with that. Thank hey, you. Hey, wait, what much. about me? Oh. I don't get a shout-out? Oh, wait. You don't get a shout-out for knowing? You want a question? What no. A- I was no. I was going to say, like, my, my, little, my little shameless plug. So, number one, why? I want to give a shout out to Levante Stewart, my coworker who was on this show. Did a great job. Who said he's going to be listening today. So Levante, you are the man, as always, South Shore's finest. Um, and then a little bit of shameless self-promotion. I'll actually be in a doc, featuring a documentary for all those people that are up at 1.30 a.m. On, a, on Saturday morning. So if you have a really late Friday night, uh, there's a documentary called A Night on 
Milwaukee Avenue, which talks about the history of Poland's music scene, where on Milwaukee Avenue, you had some of Poland's famous, most famous rock stars that made Chicago's neighborhood of Avondale home. And they're going to be showing that documentary at one in the morning. So put it on your DVR if you're a music <laughs> nut. On what station? On WTTW Channel, Channel 11. 11. Thank you, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, uh, Friday, well, Saturday morning at 1 a.m. All right, very good. And uh, also, Dan does something else uh, in his yeah. spare time. <laughs> Wintertime's almost coming, people, so, you know, it's that time of season. It's about to end. I do this for you every time, Danny. It's no problem. <laughs> He's an ordained minister, guys, so uh, we always do this commercial. If you are looking to <laughs> marry that certain someone, the one you love, well, there's one man that could take care of it for you, Dan Pogoshelski. So, if you want to get married, the only question that you need to ask is, Danny P., will you marry me? <laughs> Dan Pogoshelski, ordained minister. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Hope you're getting a cut of those proceeds. Yeah, I'm not. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, have to, I have to give you props that, like, literally, for because you, you made this into such a big thing, that uh, I changed my Facebook for a while where I just had, you know, you have, like, your little slogan. Oh, yeah. So, for a while, my slogan was, I will officiate your wedding. Nice. <laughs> 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 Danny, That's awesome. Danny P., Jacob Kaplan. also want to thank Keena Collins, uh, running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District, and Ramana Hussein did an outstanding job, as she always does. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board there. You know, this music we're ending with? It's for you, buddy. Yeah, man. This is Carol King's. <laughs> he loves the Gilmore Girls, yeah, guys. <laughs> I got to run home, folks, and watch more Gilmore Girls on Netflix. Give yourself a race, Dr. D. Take it out of petty cash. See you on Tuesday, everybody. <laughs> And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews like this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. And speaking of the Benny J bonus interviews, here's a recap of what's going on this weekend. It's all things Trump and impeachment with ace attorney, legal eagle, Jim Coogan. We got a Bernie Sanders update special with our good friend Miles Conflassen of In These Times Magazines and one Micah Utrecht of Jacobin Magazine and two, count them two, CTU strike specials with Stacey Davis-Gates, the vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union, and Andrea Parker. Go check them out. Downloadable at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews at Benny J Show on Facebook and Twitter. We'll see you Tuesday.